When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What is up, everyone? And welcome to Modern Day Debate. We are a neutral, nonpartisan platform welcoming everyone from all walks of life. If you're looking for even more fantastic debates, we are all over the internet, including your favorite podcasting platforms like Apple, Spotify. We and are a podcast. neutral, nonpartisan platform welcoming everyone. As well as, do not forget to like. Follow and subscribe out there on Twitch and YouTube, including tonight's debate on Was Joseph Smith a Prophet of God? With our debaters, Bryce and Kyle, here to help us find out. And if you enjoy what either of them have to say tonight, our guest links are in the description below. You can also tag me in chat at Amy Newman with your question, comment for our Q&A section. Those super chats will get you to the top of the list. Finally, tickets are on sale for Modern Day Debate live and in person for Saturday, September 16th in Houston, Texas. And the link to tickets is at the top of the description box below. This mini conference will have two debates, one featuring Arun Ra versus the Muslim metaphysician, and one featuring Matt Dillahunty versus Daniel Hakikachu. So get your tickets now, as we are expecting to sell out. With that, I am going to hand it over to the affirmative for their 10 to 12 minute opening statement. The floor is yours. And you do have to unmute. All right. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's always a pleasure to be able to come and testify before you. So uh, in all of modern day debate history, uh, as far as I'm aware, I'd like to be the very first to open my, to make my opening statement with an opening prayer. So I'll just make this really fast. Dear Heavenly Father, please bless us with thy spirit that we may both speak clearly and be kind to each other. 
Let the truth be made known. We thank thee for all that thou hast done for us and please help us with uh, our conversation. We say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So I've got the red pill and the blue pill for you. Okay. The red pill and the blue pill. From That's a reference to Matrix, I'm sure you know. I've never seen the movie myself, but I know what the reference is. Okay. And uh, what I can offer you knowledge or ignorance, and you can just kind of go about your way. And the red pill itself has a condition with it, though. Okay. Part of our doctrine says, for of him unto, sorry, for of him unto whom much is given, much is required. And he who sins against the greater light shall receive the greater condemnation. So with, I'm sure you've heard of Spider-Man with the whole, where with much power comes great responsibility. It's kind of the same thing with that. Okay. With much knowledge comes great accountability. The more you know, the more is expected of you. Uh, And so that's the condition with the red pill. And we're taught in the gospel of John, Chapter three, for God sent not his son unto the world to to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So with that, the savior didn't come to the world to, to try and can, he doesn't want to force that greater amount of, of accountability on everyone. This is kind of a, a choice on you. And so my question for you is if God reveals himself to you today, says Joseph Smith was my prophet, would that be enough to convince you? And if that, if you were to have that an experience with God like that, taking the red pill, would you be willing to get baptized? So that's one of my big questions. And we could talk more about that. One of my, opening statement is done. But when it comes to knowing if Joseph Smith was a true prophet, that is a really big question. And that has a, it's built on a foundation, whether or not Joseph Smith was a true prophet, because the Bible teaches that many false prophets would come in my name, right? And says in Matthew chapter seven, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns? uh, Sorry, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So when it comes to Joseph Smith and whether or not he was a true prophet, the fruit that we that he really produced is the Book of Mormon. Whether or not true, Joseph Smith was a true prophet is comes down to whether or not the Book of Mormon is true. And 
that whole thing, we, we call the Book of Mormon the keystone of our religion. It is what you think of like a big archway or something like that, right? And the keystone is the top block that keeps the whole thing together with, from, with, without falling down. And so when it comes to gaining a testimony of whether or not Joseph Smith was a true prophet, a lot of that comes down to inviting people to actually read the Book of Mormon, taste the fruit. And uh, yeah. And so that's what we really point to. But the Book of Mormon itself has another foundational pillar to it, or founding stone. In our church, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And so everything is founded on him. And in previous debates, I went and I talked about the Aztec Codex showing human sacrifice and how, uh, like, there's this ritual with the priest. He's ripping out the heart of the the human sacrifice, and he's taking the blood of the sacrifice, and he's marking the the door and little piece in the background. I think I can share this screen here real quick with you, or. Just really. Okay. So I, I shared this previously, just showing this priest, how he's taken the, the heart out of the victim. And uh, and then in the background here, he's got the, the door on the lintel. And he took the, the blood of the sacrifice and marked it on uh, the doorpost and the lintel across in the Hebrew fashion. And so I always looked at that. And I was like, wow, that is really strong evidence that the Americans, the ancient Americans, knew about the Hebrew customs. Uh, however, in the Book of Mormon, there came there comes a point where Jesus tells the people that I will no longer accept the sacrifice of animals, but instead a sacrifice of a pure heart and contrite spirit. And so instead of taking it figuratively, they decided to take it very literally. And there's a lot of other different evidences I can point out like this. I also, last time I also talked about the, the Onondagan creation story and uh, pointed out all of the similarities with that. And if you wanted to, I could totally pull out the, the Cherokee creation story, which I think is very, very uh, strong evidence. And uh, I have, there's a lot of different cultural histories, such as the Cherokees believing that they wiped out a, a race of giants. They went to war against a race of, of uh, cannibalistic giants. And that matches right up with the Book of Mormon, as, I, as far as I can tell there. Uh, and so there's a lot of different cultural, uh, cultural evidences. But as a missionary, because I, I served a, a mission for, for the church uh, full two full two years out in Arcadia, California, the, the which is East LA. And as a missionary, we never focused on anything like that when it comes to presenting evidence, because the evidence that we would rather focus on is a lot stronger than that. And so when we present evidence, what we do is we just teach about the, the basic restoration we teach about the bible and and then we talk about how god calls prophets and uh th through every dispensation uh and these prophets he gives authority to and to 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 preach the gospel and to baptize people and uh to keep things straight because as 
time goes on, people get really wicked and they, oh, well, we don't really want to believe that anymore. So we're going to change this. We're going to change that. And things get all scattered. And so if you look around in the world today, there are tons of different churches out there. And uh, yeah, so the Savior likes to keep things straight. And so he calls a prophet and gives them authority and to, to go out and baptize. And in this case, this would be Joseph Smith. And in order to find out if Joseph Smith is a true prophet, like I said, we we really focus on looking for people to who are willing to make commitments to to pray. We invite people to pray. We teach them to pray and to go to church, to read the scriptures. And these are some really basic things. But as we do these really basic things, miracles follow. And so that's the strongest evidence that we can give you. Okay. People can make up all kinds of garbage about the past. Uh, I was talking to a, uh, a woman the other day who's, oh, well, Joseph Smith raped someone. And yeah, we can't verify that in our day to day. We can't verify all these people can make up all kinds of garbage about him, but yeah, how much of that can we really verify today? What we can, what I can give you though, is personal experiences, personal miracles where God shows up in your life and tells you that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. And so when we go to church on Sunday, uh, on the first week of, um, of, Every month, we all take turns and we can share testimonies of the different experiences that we've had, the things that have witnessed to us that Joseph Smith is a true prophet and that the Book of Mormon is true and just the different miracles that we've experienced in our lives. And so uh, these miracles happen by, by doing those small things, as I said, by going to church, reading your scriptures and praying. So one of the experiences that really happened to me a long time ago was I went to just going to school one day. I just felt like this big dark cloud was hanging over everyone and everyone was, oh shoot. Okay. So this big dark cloud was hanging over everyone. And when I got home, I was able to go to my room and pray and read the scriptures. And as I did so, I felt that dark cloud get lifted and liberated. The gospel blesses families and it is the, from the testimonies of everyone. That's we want you to have that for yourself. And that's our our biggest witness. And so I'll, I'll leave it there. Thank you so very much, Kyle. And with that, we are going to hand it over to Bryce for your 10 to 12 minute opening statement. Excellent. All right. I'm going to share my screen really quickly here and just let me know if that is working for everybody. It's working. Good. All right, then. Um, okay. So I want to begin just by thanking Modern Day Debates for agreeing to host this discussion, as well as thank you to Kyle Adams uh, for agreeing to be on the affirmative side of today's proposition. 
so that proposition is, was Joseph Smith a true prophet of God? And I want to break the proposition down into its constituent pieces in order to illustrate why I conclude that Joseph Smith was not a true prophet. And really quickly, my name is Bryce Blankenegel. I am an independent Mormon history researcher and communicator. And uh, just to establish a little bit of common ground, I grew up in Utah in the same religion as uh, Kyle. So we may be throwing around a bit of uh, jargon and some insider terminology today. But I try very hard to make Mormonism accessible to everybody. So when that happens, I'm going to try to pause and try and um, define things as if we just kind of happen to get into the weeds occasionally here. So let's begin with just defining our terms for today's discussion. Uh, first is a prophet. Uh, a prophet is obviously a person who speaks for God or a deity or speaks by divine inspiration. I think that's a fairly agreed upon uh, terminology. Um, and next we have a prophecy, right? Um a prophecy is something that is a divinely inspired utterance a, or a revelation or a prediction of some kind. Uh, I think that's a fairly generally agreed upon uh, definition for prophecy as well. And then we also have the terminology of true. And true is um, it's fairly strictly defined as something that is in accordance with the actual state or conditions conforming to reality or fact. Two plus two is four. That's true. That is an acacia tray, uh, tree. Yeah, that's true. Um, the Kirtland Temple exists. That's true. Um, no matter how hard he tried and how much he wanted to lie to himself, the goddamn pen was always blue. These are true statements. So we don't, um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, it remains fairly ambiguous about what constitutes prophecy and what constitutes revelation in the modern church. If a prophet says something in a public setting, is it a prophetic utterance? Well, I mean, Joseph Fielding Smith said in the early 1960s that we will never get a man into space. The earth is man's sphere. The moon is a superior planet to the earth. It was never intended that man should go there. You can write it down in your books that this will never happen. Uh, Joseph Smith taught that there were Quakers living on the moon. Um, Brigham Young taught that the uh, the uh, penalty for miscegenation was death on the spot, and he concluded that thought by saying, this will always be so. So these are prophetic utterances here, right? Well, we don't need to wade into these waters because I'm going to rely strictly on, on the strictly defined prophecies by Joseph Smith that constitute the Mormon corpus of scriptures. That is the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. So briefly, let's just go through each of these. Now, the Book of Mormon is the seminal work of Mormonism. And notably, uh, Alexander Campbell was the name of a, a popular preacher uh, who regarded Joseph Smith as a market competitor. Uh, he wrote a massive review of the Book of Mormon after reading it himself. And he published this in 1831. This was barely a year after the Book of Mormon itself was published. And he details all of the notable events in the Book of Mormon, lists a timeline of it. And then he lists 10 internal inconsistencies, some of them compared with scriptures, some of them compared with historical evidence that they were aware of at the time. And then he also discusses some of the linguistic issues, noting how every word looks to have been written by one author, who he says, of course, is Joseph Smith. Another expose of the uh, Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith was published in 1834. It was titled Mormonism Unveiled, and it noted historical inaccuracies or anachronisms, as we call them, merely 12 pages into the Book of Mormon when the Book of Mormon talks about steel. Now, that is all to say that the Book of Mormon was debunked and it was shown to be a work of 19th century Christian Bible fan fiction just barely a year after the Book of Mormon was published. 
Yet, to illustrate how impenetrable the believing mind can be, Joseph's religious movement based on the Book of Mormon continued to grow for the remaining 13 years of his ministry. And of course, given the provenance of the Book of Mormon, we have South Park to thank for properly illustrating how the book was actually written. So the Book of Mormon has spurious origins, and it is not what it claims to be. The Book of Mormon is not true. Even the current prophet, Russell M. Nelson, said, quote, the Book of Mormon is not a textbook of history, end quote. Joseph Smith's prophetic, uh, seminal prophetic text isn't true. This is enough alone to prove that he was not a true prophet. But there's plenty more to go. The Doctrine and Covenants is a collection of revelations primarily from Joseph Smith. And this is the least studied but the most important book of Mormon scripture. And if you want to know anything about Mormonism, this should be your first stop, the Doctrine and Covenants, not the Book of Mormon. So the revelations from Joseph Smith in here fall into basically three broad categories. Uh, there's the Doctrine and Theology revelations, there are the Callings and Directives revelations, and then the Damage Control revelations. Uh, uh, so is this Book of Prophecies and revelations true? That's not an easy question to answer, but the revelations that fall into these three broad categories, we can kind of ascertain the truthfulness of them as we go. The doctrine and theology category is pretty simple. These are most, uh, most, almost exclusively just evolutions and expansions of Protestantism that was popular in America in Joseph Smith's milieu. These aren't really true or false so much as they are just proclamations about theology that aren't testable. Now, the calling of directives revelations, they similarly, they can't really be assessed as true or false because most of these are quite simply Joseph calling people on missions. Um, you go preach over there. Uh, you go buy me a printing press in New York. Uh, so most of these are, are handling matters uh, and administrative concerns as well, directing the formation of quorums or committees or, and various uh, organizational bodies within the church. Um, and most of these are brazenly self-serving, but such as the modus operandi of any man claiming to speak for God. Um, so finally, we get to the damage control revelations, and these are usually issued in response to a scandal or a power struggle that's going on in the church. They're also not really true or false, but they are exceptionally self-serving. And of course, they always elevated Joseph Smith above all the other men in the church. Finally, we move on to the Pearl of Great Price. This is a small collection of works by Joseph Smith, and this is the wackiest and funnest book of Mormon revelations. This is how we know that God is an alien that lives on the planet nearest the star Kolob, is what's in the Pearl of Great Price. It's great. Um, so the uh, the Pearl of Great Price, uh, the first book in it is the Book of Moses. This is Joseph Smith's rewriting of the Genesis story, which was just clearly a fabrication by Joseph Smith's mind. Next is the Book of Abraham. And the Book of Abraham is patently the easiest book of Mormon scripture that shows that Joseph Smith was lying about his abilities, and he was just fabricating the entire corpus of Mormon scriptures and prophecies. The church itself states, quote, none of the characters on the papyrus fragments mentioned Abraham's name or any of the events recorded in the Book of Abraham, end quote. With the church itself stating so, we can reasonably conclude that the book of Abraham is not true. There's also the Joseph Smith translation, Matthew, which was just Joseph pseudepigraphizing the New Testament. And then we have the Joseph Smith history. And unfortunately for the Joseph Smith history, this, this one is canonized as scripture. There are multiple versions of the first vision story of his history, which predate this account. And they uh, the previous accounts present irresolvable contradictions to the one that is canonized in the scriptures. 
Uh, that's the one that's presented here as scripture. It is the latest. It is the most legendary of all of them. And I think that we can chart the evolution of the legend and of the mythology of the first vision story and conclude that the 1838 version that is published as scripture in the Pearl of Great Price is not true. So the primary thrust of my argument is that if Joseph Smith writes Revelation, claiming it to be from God, and that, pro that prophecy is demonstrably false then he could never be a true prophet. And each of these scriptures, stand alone, provide us with enough information to conclude that Joseph Smith was not a true prophet. Taken as a whole, Joseph's entire corpus of work was completely untethered to reality, which is to say that he made it up, which is to say that it is not true. However, there is a deeper level to this proposition of whether or not Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God, which is central to our discussion. And this is also my standard for argumentation that would convince me that my own position is erroneous and that would cause me to reactivate my membership in the church. Um, just to let you know, Kyle, I don't need to get rebaptized in the church. Uh, my membership is still on the records. I was never excommunicated or I never had my records removed. So oh. in order for Joseph Smith to be a true prophet of God, my opponent must demonstrate the existence of God and then the linkage between Joseph Smith and God. That is to say, first, demonstrate that God exists. Second, demonstrate that God created the world in which we live. Third, demonstrate God communicates with humans. Fourth, demonstrate God communicates with men who he instructs to write those communications. Fifth, demonstrate those communications we have today are close enough to the original that God's true words are retained in essence or in totality. Sixth, demonstrate that Joseph Smith was a man who God chose to be his prophet. And finally, seventh, demonstrate that each of Joseph Smith's prophecies and revelations came from that God and not from Joseph Smith himself. Since we are unable to prove the existence of God in the first place, let alone the six stops, six following steps that end at Joseph Smith, I maintain that we can reasonably conclude from the preponderance of evidence that Joseph Smith was not a true prophet of God. So thank you all. And I turn my time back over to the moderator. Mm -hmm. Thank you so very much, Bryce, for your opening statement. And with that, this will conclude both sides opening statements for was Joseph Smith a prophet of God we're now going to move into open dialogue but keep on sending me in those chats or super chats at Amy Newman though so if you look at the bottom right of our screen tickets are on sale right now for modern day debate live and in person Saturday, September 16th in Houston, Texas. The link to tickets is at the top of the description box below, along with our interlocutors' own channel links. This mini-conference will have two debates, one featuring Aaron Ra versus the Muslim metaphysician, and one featuring Matt Dillahoney versus Daniel Hakikachu. So get your tickets now. We're expecting to sell out with that. I'm going to hand it open to the open dialogue. Gentlemen, the floor is both of yours. Hey, so we've got this whole structure of the church, right? We've got the foundation and we've got these things that are built upon the foundation. And mm -hmm. when you take that whole thing and flip it upside down, it doesn't work. And so it's really important to to build on the foundation, and in this case, the what foundation. What do you mean by flipping flipping it upside down? What, what in reference to what of part of my presentation? 
the okay the foundation of the church is jesus christ himself okay that's the foundation of the church now when you flip it upside down and and uh say it's joseph smith that's the foundation that's that's wrong and so yeah well oh. then i i don't grant the premise that the foundation of the church is jesus christ because without joseph smith the church would never have existed well if it wasn't for joseph smith then it would it would have just been someone else that's the whole thing and so yeah so okay so this i think this really gets at the the core of our uh disagreement here does it, the church come from joseph smith or does it come from a transcendental force that just communicated it through joseph smith i think you've hit the nail on the head it's yeah it's that foundation right there is okay so I, I we have um, basically I structured my presentation in two separate uh, parts. The first part is dealing with the corpus of Joseph Smith's scriptures, revelations, prophecies. The second part was the demonstration of God existing and getting from God all the way to Joseph Smith as part of that slide. So if you would like then to demonstrate that this is indeed uh, the that Jesus Christ is the foundation of this church, then I welcome you to demonstrate that God exists uh, and then get through all of those seven steps to get us to Joseph Smith. Okay, well, so Joseph Smith is built upon the foundation of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is found, built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and he's the one who's really at the head of the church and leading it all. And so I tried to point out in my opening statement that— I don't agree with that. Okay, Um. yeah, I understand that, that you don't agree with that. And so that's why, as a missionary, when we go out—did you serve a mission? No, I left before. Okay, so how old were you when you left? Uh, 16. 16, okay. So it's been a little while ago, maybe. So uh, so as a missionary, when we go out and, and find people to teach, like I said, our objective is to help them to develop that relationship of, with Christ and uh, by inviting them to, to do different things and, and make and keep commitments. And as they build that relationship with Christ, it's through the spirit that, that that's how they're able to develop a testimony of the Book of Mormon. And that's how they're able to develop a testimony of Joseph Smith. And so I, like I said, there's a lot, a lot of this other evidence out there that we could get into, but that's all trivial. And yeah, it like, it's very debatable, but when you have your own personal experience, then yeah, it's kind of looking at the blue pen and trying to say that this pen is not blue. It's exactly that. And so, uh, I mean, I, I have had my own personal experience, right? I mean, I grew up in the church. I had a testimony in the church and then I, um, I stopped believing. And then I started studying church history and I was completely convinced that the church that I had grew, grown up in was not true. So okay. I, I kind of had a, a slow transition away from the church. I believed in it fully. I was committed to it. Uh, graduated seminary, did everything that I was supposed to growing up in the church, got my Eagle Scout. Um, I, <laughs> because I stopped believing right before the requirement uh, timeframe was up for it. Um, instead of getting my duty to God, um, I left one of my requirements undone on my duty to God, just to ceremonially say that I am done with the church, that I, I don't want this award. I don't want to do my duty to God. Um, and that's, that's, you know, the cutoff for getting your duty to God in the church. That is something it's a, basically a rite of passage that uh, most teenagers go through in the church. Uh, young women's have their own, uh, medallion that they get for going through. And you basically have to fulfill requirements, uh, where you give talks in church and you read scriptures and you do service and, and a bunch of other things. 
Um, and because I kind of got to a point where I no longer believed in it, I did not do my duty to God. But that is all to say that I grew up in the church, very faithful, very devout to the church. I believed in the Book of Mormon. I stood up in testimony meeting and a fast in testimony meeting, and I bore my testimony. I like to bury my testimony. I know this church. Is I did all of those things. And I now recognize the psychological mechanisms that cause those feelings. And I can replicate those feelings without the Book of Mormon, without the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I can replicate those in my own life and I can have my own spiritual pursuits. That's a heavy, heavy term, of course. Uh, and I don't need the church to do it, but I can still get the same feeling. So you said you had a testimony. What miracles did did you testify of? Like what 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 did you experience? What did you see? Um, immediately, well, miracles. It, <laughs> yeah, did you? It's very that? difficult to come up with something uh, offhand. And I mean, like you said earlier, it's been a little while. I uh, actually two months ago, I crossed the threshold of being more of my life out of the church than than being in the church. I just just crossed over that threshold. Um, so I am struggling to recall anything immediate that was impactful. But it was all in lots of small little things. Um, I it was lots of little miracles. Like oftentimes uh, people would say like, oh, well, God helped you find your car keys. But it was like little tiny things like that or stop the rain when I was about to go outside and play with friends or something to that effect, like very mundane things when I look back on them at the time were very impactful to me. And they felt to me like I was being watched over by God. Okay. So, yeah, when it comes to this whole thing, I, I really like the the visualization of of Christ being out on the boat and the in the middle of the storm and all these things are kind of going their way and going crazy and uh, everyone on the boat is like, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And then Jesus stands up and says, Peace, be still. And so, uh, though I believe this is a very literal thing that took place, it's also very figurative and symbolic for me. And so, when I think about all the the different storms, those can be all be doubts and change and uh, and chaos. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to explain that. And but in the end, it comes up to Christ saying peace be still he has to to be there to calm the storms and it sounds like for me when i hear you you had all these storms come up but you never heard that you never heard that peace be still um you are just saying that not having lived my life um, I'm, I, I'm saying I it sounds to me like that and so i don't you, yeah. you're saying you did hear that so when when you left the church that's what i'm that's what i'm talking about you're mm -hmm. you're seeing all these different concerns and doubts going to come into your mind out of, uh, you know, that's rocking your boat basically. And so, uh, you didn't experience that peace be still moment that kept you in the church. Um, this is, uh, I, I feel like this is, a uh, an unimportant direction to take our conversation because my own personal experience has absolutely nothing to do with the truth claims of the church. And how we got here, of course, was through a discussion about building a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and you had said earlier that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And I yes. take issue with that because I, I see no evidence for that because, hey, I mean, there's general conference every six months. Jesus still hasn't shown up. I mean, I don't even know if they save a chair for him, but he still isn't there. I see Russell and Nelson every time. I 
see Thomas's Monson there every time. I see Gordon B. Hinckley there every time. I see a prophet there. I see a president of the Corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I see men there in suits. I never see Jesus, whoever that character may be. So what evidence do you use to conclude that Jesus is the head of this church? Well, he's the one who calms my storms. And so... Uh, so it gives you a peaceful feeling to be a member of this church. Therefore, it's true. Well, it's more than a peaceful feeling. Where Jesus is, miracles follow. And it's the miracles that testify of things. And so uh, I remember back when I was like 17 or something like that. Okay. Uh, I was pretty young, but I was, I was working out in the middle of the desert at uh, school for uh I guess I was older than 17. And so it was before my mission. I think I was like uh, 18 at the time. Okay. I was working at a school for troubled youth. And as I'm driving home from work one morning, uh, all, all of a sudden I look into the, in my rear view mirror and there's an Indian sitting in the back seat of my car. And the moment I saw that Indian, all of a sudden my car lost total control. Okay. It's swerving to the left and to the right. And uh, it's on this long dirt road out in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, like uh, my car hits the bank and starts to like, it's about to to roll over. And then all of a sudden it comes back down. And uh, just as the dust starts to settle, I am able to get out of the car and kind of look at what happened. And I see that both of the tires on my front car are completely off the rim. Okay. And immediately after all of this, and like during this whole experience, like, I never felt worried or scared for me. It was like a roller coaster. I was just like, whoa, I can't believe this is actually happening to me. Kind of a, a, a exciting moment for me. But immediately after this happened, all of a sudden I, I look down the road there and there's a big dust cloud coming my way. And uh, all of a sudden the car shows up and of all people, it happens to be my home teacher or the minister from our church. And uh, he comes out, hey, you need some help here? Let me help you out. And he gets the cars, puts in the or the, the tires and uh, takes them off the rim. And he just happened to have a, a job there working. Uh, he was a plumber. And uh, he just happened to be heading towards my work because they had plumbing issues uh, that day. And so he helps me out getting, that, getting my car taken care of and goes back to uh, do his job afterwards. But uh, yeah, it was just major miraculous time. Okay. Miracles. Okay. So things that ha- happen in people's lives that they term as miracles. I grant that things happen in people's lives that they call miracles. That does not follow to the evidence of a claim that therefore Jesus exists. Right. So um, if you are using your miracles as evidence that everybody should believe in for God's existence, then we should equally weigh everybody else's miracle claims and not just from miracle claims from members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? I agree. I totally agree. And I be- I don't believe that miracles happen just here. God is the God of the entire earth. He's, yeah. So if that, test- just- if that miracle, if that evidence for miracles testifies to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ at the head of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as well as it does for uh, somebody uh, that Allah is the head of uh, uh, Sunni Islam, um, how do we resolve that, that contradiction? How do we resolve that miracles can take place in both places? 
that they give evidence for different gods. That they is is it a different god really? I mean, do you pray to Allah? Do you read well, the Quran and call it a holy book? Well, I what I call father, they they call Allah as far as I as, I, as far as I can tell. Right, but so, you don't you don't read the Quran as scripture, right? No, I don't. They're there, then they have to be different gods because they your god does not abide by the precepts that are contained in the Quran. The well, the god Allah does not abide by the precepts contained in the Book of Mormon. Those are two I'm, separate distinct gods. I'm not a Muslim, but last I checked, the Muslims are of Abrahamic that's it's an Abrahamic religion. Right. But the Book so, of Mormon and the Quran are held up by two different religions as books of scripture. There, there was a great apostasy, and there's a lot of different religions out there. But that doesn't mean, yeah, Muslims so, aren't an Abrahamic religion. We are an Abrahamic point, religion. The point the that same. I'm driving towards is that if you are using miracle as evidence for a personal God, that's fine. When you are using miracles as evidence for God that everybody else should accept that that is not evidence that is you had an experience and none of us can verify it none of us can do anything other than hear you relate your personal story and you're hoping that we accept that as evidence that your god exists well why like said, why should we accept your miracles as evidence for us so i just mentioned that yeah the the muslim religion we're both abrahamic religion we pray to the same god and uh so I think the first step here, because it's about gradual things, it's not just, uh, it's here a little, there a little, right? And so the very first step here, you said, uh, I guess in the title of this video, I noticed it said that you're an atheist. And so I think a first step for, for you would just be acknowledging the existence of a God. Something I used than to ourselves. believe in your God. Okay, I got that. I got that. But I'm trying to tell you that uh a miracle miracles are evidence that all god exists and so be it through the muslims or the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints so i don't believe in god but i am also exceptionally lucky a lot of things happen around me that if i were a believer i would attribute them to god but instead i say i'm a lucky son of a gun so your evidence for your miracles that you say are God are evidence for me, but when they happen in my life, that I'm a lucky person. So you are saying that these this evidence should lead us all towards God, but it hasn't led me towards God. It has well, led me away from your God. Well, there's correlation and causation, and I think that's kind of what you're talking. We're, we're we're kind of running around here, uh, and you're trying to say that correlation doesn't equal causation. Correct. And so you can just write that off the whole experience for me uh, being rescued out in the middle of the desert by my home teacher from church. You can just write that off as, oh, that's just uh, correlation. It's just by chance. It doesn't yeah. oh, mean look, small, small community dirt roads in Utah. And uh, you're going from to or you're going from work to home, probably on one of the well-traveled roads in your community. It's and you're one road, of your travel well traveled. I, I mean, I, I've lived in areas where dirt roads are <laughs> very commonly traveled. I used to commute via dirt roads in Colorado. Right. Um, so it's I mean, somebody from your community found you when your car was broken down. That's not a miracle. That's mundane. 
That is some, one of your neighbors found you when you were in a situation where somebody was going to find you. It so happened to be a community, a member of your community that you recognize that you had a personal connection with because they were your, your ministering member, but it's somebody in your community found you when you had car trouble. Is that really yeah. the level of evidence that you are claiming to say that there is this transcendental force that created everything around us, created all of our existence, created each one of us? Well, Do I you said see that's that a that, piece that, of evidence. That's that, a piece that, of evidence. It's not everything else all into one thing, but a testimony is built brick by brick. Uh, well, then in order to then let's talk about the evidence of the stuff that actually matters here. The stuff that we can actually use to test if Joseph Smith was a prophet. So let's talk about the Book of Mormon. Let's talk about the Doctrine of Covenants. Let's talk about the Pearl of Great Price, because really that's what we have to rely on. These are the canonized revelations of Joseph Smith that, that the church is structured around, that the church relies on. The church lives or dies by these texts being true and being what they claim. So let's talk about them instead of talking about our own personal miracle situations. So let's talk about the Book of Mormon because the Book of Mormon is the seminal text of Joseph Smith and of this church. If the Book of Mormon can be proven to be false, then the uh, then my work is done. I don't need to prove that the Doctrine and Covenants is also false and the Pearl of Great Price is false because if everything is built on the Book of Mormon and right, the Book second, of Mormon itself is false then then we are unable to demonstrate that the church itself is true. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. Send in love out there to everyone in chat, our awesome mods, and everyone at the Modern Day Debate community. Okay, so you're trying to eliminate this whole factor of personal experience from it and trying to focus, which is the foundation here. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And he's the one who testifies to everyone else. Right. So, so you're trying to break away that, from that foundation and start to focus on other things. I am trying to get away from the personal attestations that we determine our own personal beliefs in God. And I am trying to get to something that is foundational and is structural for the church. Personal miracle experiences and personal testimonies don't apply to the truthfulness of the church as a corporate body. The corporate well, body entirely. is that's the, the foundation. Well, the upon this body, rock, I will. Sorry. Right, right. Upon this rock, uh, upon this rock, I will build my church, and that is for us. That is revelation itself. The ability for you to receive revelation, and so that's why right. no, no, it's all about I, pray to know. That's I'm the, just saying, don't like, flip it. Don't flip it. The church is not structured on people's miracles. The church is structured on the texts of the no, scriptures. That's the foundation of the church. Of the, church. the foundation like, of the church is miracles. It's the it's revelation, personal revelation. And so when I experience a miracle for myself, and I write that down for myself, that is just as powerful as the book of mormon itself if we not, are not more powerful because i've experienced it kyle we're not saying mutually contradictory things right now people believe in the church because of their own miracles but the church itself is not structured on people's miracles on the miracles of the members the church itself is structured on the scriptural texts that form the organizational foundation for the church That's so if those foundational texts themselves are shown to be not true or shown to be flawed factually inaccurate not true then the church itself is not true does that logically follow no no so it's you're building it upside down again. Like I said, it's all about those those personal experiences, those revelations, the miracles, and uh, those 
end up verifying the others because we can argue about those other stuff all day long. Like I said, uh, very controversial, but can you really prove that this was the case or that was the case? And it ends up being very dead. It's yeah. You could go all day with that. Uh, I didn't live back in Joseph Smith's day. I can't, uh, yeah, say exactly uh, how things were in those days and exact, was this really written by Joseph Smith? Well, I didn't really watch him want, write it, but I can well, have God. So, testify okay, so he wrote the book of this, Mormon, right? He wrote the book of Mormon. He translated the book of Mormon. And that's where how can I, did I witness him do that myself? Well, I can only, I can experience miracles reading it and I can have God testify to me, to, Kyle, to myself are you, that these are things you, are true. Are you retreating away from Joseph Smith being the author of the book of Mormon right now? I just said, no, he's definitely not the author of the Book of Mormon. The uh, the Book of Mormon itself, yeah, the Book of Nephi. That is the book okay, written by so, Nephi. Okay, so this is a semantic disagreement, and this is where uh, Mormons and ex-Mormons oftentimes get in a uh, confrontation, is the uh, terminology of translator. What does a translator mean? Because Joseph Smith did not have a foundational text that was written in Reformed Egyptian that he was translating the way that linguists would be translating um, from one language to another language. He didn't have that. So what is what is your understanding of his methods of translation that I am labeling as authorship? Well, with the Book of Mormon, we have the gold plates, right? And he was given these gold plates and given the We don't the have tools. the gold plates. Well, he did. Okay. And there's a lot of, there's, there's no evidence to conclude that we, we don't have the gold plates. We have no reason to believe that the gold plates ever existed in the context of what they are. Now, if Joseph Smith fabricated a, a set of plates, I think that's, that's possible, maybe even likely, but we have no reason to believe that Joseph Smith had a set of gold plates that were ancient scripture written by Native American Jewish historian prophets. We have no reason to conclude that that is true. I disagree so, entirely because every miracle and every revelation that comes from reading that is testimony. That's a reason to believe that the Book of Mormon is true. When God testifies and uh now you didn't have this experience, but I can t I can tell you about my friend uh, who was a convert to the church who saw angels. He saw angels and come and witness to him. That, you hey, think I haven't seen angels. That's what. That's what, I don't know. You told me that I asked you specifically what miracles. I told you, you that I now can replicate the the things that happened, the spiritualism that happened in my mind that caused me to convince me to believe in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints as a young person. I told you that I can recreate the spiritual phenomena that were happening that caused me to believe that. So you can recreate the miracles that are that. I'm not saying miracles. I can recreate the spiritual okay. impressions that I got that I used as testimony at, that that were building my testimony that I used as evidence that my testimony was growing. Those st the still small voice, the burning in my bosom when I would hear a, a a a perfect hymn when I was having a bad day that brought my spirits up. I can replicate that now without anything that's that's related to the Mormon Church. Except so it is not evidence for the truthfulness of the church. A reason to believe is the definition of evidence. Uh, I, uh, I have a hard time believing that when you say it that way, that you're not loading the term reason with a bit more than it actually can carry here. The, what I, do can, you I can open up the dictionary. How for you do right you define to, to reason? You. A reason to believe in something is defined as evidence. And so how do I define reason? Oh, I just... I can look it up in the dictionary for you and kind of show you the way they define it. 
Please do. Okay, a reason is a basis or cause for some belief, action, fact, or event, uh, etc. So action, the, fact, or event. Yeah. An something event. that is observable, something that is maybe testable, something that is a fact, an action, or an event. Right. Okay. So yeah. reason to believe. If I okay. so the things if, that I believe in, I have reason to believe them because I have evidence for believing in those things. Okay. So if you saw an angel today and says, here I am kind of having a, a Paul experience. Paul is one who saw Jesus and uh, and had the, the big turn of event. So, oh, you know, why are you persecuting me? And uh, yeah, he had this whole event where, yeah, he was struck dumb because of that. But now, if something like that, that would be an event and that would be yeah, a reason to believe. Right. And I've had that event myself. I, I mean, had an angel appeared to you. <laughs> in my mind absolutely absolutely okay but we're talking about not like in your mind so okay well this comes down to i i mean th this is this is absolutely unrelated to the topic of conversation because i would really like to get to the book of mormon itself um well, but of course as, of itself. as somebody who seeks naturalistic explanations for phenomena that happen in uh around me in the world around me as well as uh, events in history that obviously are uh, much more opaque than what is going on in our day-to-day -day life here. Um, seeking naturalistic explanations, I believe that there's reason to, <laughs> once again, reason to believe, reason to conclude that the early church was utilizing psychedelics in order to create spiritual experiences for the early church members, uh, starting with Joseph Smith and the, the, the sacred grove himself. So, Yes, people are very able to replicate the experience of speaking with angels, of having spiritual experiences. People are very capable of having those things through naturalistic means. That is not, therefore, evidence that God is real, that Jesus Christ is the head of the Mormon church, and that Joseph Smith was a chosen prophet by God. Yeah, and that's why I said... That just means uh... that our human brain psychology can cause us to see and experience a whole lot of things. I agree that, that yeah, drugs can make you hallucinate and see different things. And so, yeah, uh, like I said, a good, strong testimony is built by many experiences, many bricks. And so, yeah, I don't know if you've ever been given a priesthood blessing. I don't know about your background. Yes, as, of course. Okay, you've been given a priesthood blessing. Have Amazing. you ever been healed through a priesthood blessing before? Um, I'm sure there were some times when I had a fever as a kid or something and my dad gave me a blessing and I got better soon after, but you know, uh, people who believe in the church obviously attribute that to the priesthood blessing. Um, I attribute that retro retrospectively as well, your body just heals with enough sleep and enough Campbell's soup and some Sprite. You, you, you start feeling better eventually. So I was going to feel better whether or not I got the priesthood blessing. Okay, so you have experienced miracles of healing, is what you're trying to say. If you if that's what you're calling it, then that's okay. That's that is not what I call it. And uh, for for you to apply those labels to my experiences is, is co opting my own personal experience, and well, I that makes me a, a bit uncomfortable. If you experienced this, and then that was what you told me, so what am I expecting? What what am I supposed to? I I told you that that's that? how I labeled it at the how I understood it at the time. Now retrospectively, looking back on the time, I recognize that 
bodies generally will heal from maladies unless maladies require medical intervention from medical science, right? Uh, and now looking back on it, I understand that I just, I was going to get better regardless of whether or not I got the priesthood blessing. But the priesthood well, blessing of- did happen, and then I got better. So if you are saying that the priesthood blessing was a healing for me, that is putting a, co- a link of causation there that I am not comfortable with. Okay, so you I don't claim no to have experienced for. any miracles. That's that's it. Okay, you don't that's, claim to have experienced any miracles of healing, on your terms. Uh, uh from uh, from my uh, understanding of the world now, when I was a teenager, when I was younger, when I, even pre preteen. Um, and I had my world was my worldview was completely shaped by the church. I had no reason to believe that it was anything other than faith healing. Okay. So, so I learned more about the world around me and then I learned the proper understanding of what had happened. I learned the proper ways to label my past experiences. Okay. So at the time you thought it was faith healing, but you no longer believe it was faith healing. And I think okay. faith healing is a, a very dangerous trend in society as well. Yes. You haven't seen, seen any major testimonies of major successes in faith healing then? I've seen a lot of testimonies of major successes in medicine. But okay. I mean, if you, I, I mean, look, right. So the history of the church right here, right. It's a 1950s set, right. That has a lot of miracles in it. I, I mean, the uh, the Johnson family, right? Uh, was it Elsa Johnson? I think that was her name. Had a lame lame arm. That's how it's written about. And the prophet Joseph Smith walked up and touched her arm, and she could lift it above her head immediately. I have no reason to believe that that happened, other than it was written in the highly propagandized history of the church. Um, but it was enough that whatever happened in that experience caused her and the entire Johnson family to convert to the church and then eventually give their strong... daughter to Joseph as, as a wife. But the, the point is, is that like, that was evidence for them, but that speaks nothing of humans just healing from their maladies. It says nothing of just spontaneous remissions of illnesses or of cancers or whatever that speaks nothing of. Um, of many other treatments that often happen concomitant with quote unquote faith healing that are actually more responsible for it. So when it comes to that's part of the thing I really love about doing family history work is when I can actually go and find the journals of, I don't know this this woman here, but that's one of the things I, I enjoy doing is to go and try and verify these things for myself. And so if this happened to this woman with the the lame arm, did she write about it? Did any of her family members write about it? And yes. so it's, so I want to get multiple testimonies, not just the one. And so, uh, yeah, I, I did a series, uh, I've been doing a series, uh, recently on, uh, John Alexander Dowie. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. I don't think so. Okay. He's a really famous, uh, faith healer, but he's a flat earther. And so he's not even part of this church, but he's still, uh, the, the miracles happen because of faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and he's got like a whole book uh, or several books really on these miracles that happened. Uh, and these people went to doctor after doctor trying to get their, their cures. And they just let him through hell, basically uh, trying to do all of their crazy witch doctor experiments on them. Uh, and it was just really nasty stuff. And this is like in the early 1920s. Or, okay. Uh, uh, so I, 
right, so I I appreciate this, but like once again, too, like we we keep exploring this rabbit trail of faith healing. This is faith healing is not have anything to do with the structure of the church being based on the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and all of those texts themselves proving that Joseph Smith was not a true prophet of God. What did I just tell you was the foundation of the church? You said miracles, and I disagree with you. The foundation of the church exists because of the Joseph Smith and these texts. That right? is not the, at all what the church the teaches. Or okay, the organization of the church is patterned after the Doctrine and Covenants. Can you agree on that? It's patterned after the Doctrine and Covenants, the organization. Yeah, they they talk about uh, prophets, apostles, and and seventies and bishops and uh, the priesthood itself. It's kind of laid out there. Yeah. Okay. Great. Awesome. It, okay. So, uh, and what is it that missionaries uh, hand out to people when they are attracting? Well, they give them the Book of Mormon, and they okay. also give them pamphlets that invite them yeah. to read the Book of Mormon and awesome. ask questions and talk with awesome. missionaries. Okay. So how are these texts then not the foundation of the church? If it is the organizational structure and the primary sales tool of the church, how is the church not based on these things? Like I said, it's all about building a relationship with Christ. And so you someone, say that, but that doesn't mean anything. The church as a corporate body has to have an organizational structure. And that organizational structure is based on the Doctrine and Covenants and the Book of Mormon. Is that a true statement? The the the, the structure is through the priesthood with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Yes, but how it's do we know the how that works? Prophets, apostles, uh, Ephesians, I don't remember the... the yes. Yes, and because of Joseph Smith, we have the Doctrine and Covenants. We have the actual organizational structure as it stands today, with the the prophet, the apostles, the quorums of the the twelve, the quorum of the twelve is the apostles, the quorums of the seventies, all of the regional bodies underneath it, the stakes, the wards, the branches. Yeah, but the it's bishops, not the Church the, of Joseph presence. Smith. It's not the Church right. of Joseph. Smith. But it's Smith. because of Joseph Smith and the texts that he wrote that we have that organizational structure. Okay. Yes, that is the case, right? You're granting me this point? Well, it's because of Jesus that we have the organizational structure. Okay, because so I, it came, look, it came be this, this, organizational, this organizational structure wasn't established by Joseph Smith. That was established in the Bible. It's, we're, we're just teaching the same practices that were done in the Bible. It's called the restoration. Okay, so I um, so I will grant we have Christianity because of Jesus. We have Mormonism, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because of Christianity. So by a very long tangential thread, we can get causation that Jesus, because Jesus Christ existed, we have Mormonism exists. It's that because is a historical Jesus Christ thread. exists That's today. Fair. He lives. Jesus lives today and testifies to okay. the people so this is the yeah, this day. is why I structured the second portion of my rebuttal the way that I did because you have to prove that God exists. You have to prove that God communicates or that God created the world. You have to prove that God communicates with humans. You have to prove that God communicates with uh, men who write those communications down. You have to prove that those communications today are close enough to God's true words. You have to prove that Joseph Smith was one of these prophets, just like all the prophets of antiquity in the Bible. And you have to prove that all of the, each and every one of Joseph Smith's prophecies and revelations, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, is from God and not from Joseph Smith. So we start so with, if you, we start by building the very first principle we teach is God is our, our, our loving Heavenly Father. And that is everything else stems from okay, that. Okay. That is the first thing you teach. 
I am saying you have to first demonstrate it before you can take your first step towards saying that Joseph Smith is a true prophet. Yes, I agree. We need to prove that God exists. And that's okay, why the so very first thing we do is for teach me, people to pray. Demonstrate it for me so we can move to the second element of my seven strings. Okay. So what did I just... So in the very beginning of this whole uh, conversation, I told you about the red pill and the blue pill, right? And about how with greater knowledge comes greater responsibility, right? And about it's about making and keeping commitments. And so when a missionary, when we go out there and, and teach people, that's what we look for. We, we look for people who are willing to make and keep commitments because if they make and keep these commitments, then the miracles will follow. That's when things happen. And that's that's the secret sauce right there. Okay, That's why my ancestors seven generations ago, okay, living out in Scotland for years and years and years, generation after generation, all of a sudden one day, Oh, wow. Look at this. Here's the Book of Mormon. I'm, I'm reading it. I'm, I'm having this experience. And all of a sudden, after that moment, they have this big revelation. They drop everything, all of their history out in, in Scotland. And immediately they leave all their family and, and come right here to, to Utah. Right. And that's not happened just once, but multiple, multiple times because they had this experience with the living Christ, with the, the living spirit. And okay. yeah, that's, that's, the biggest so testimony of the church itself. Let's talk about that then, right? So uh, after you went on the the, or the presentation points of the red pill and the blue pill, the sins against the greater light that requires a greater condemnation, I've, I felt like that was a jab at me being an ex-Mormon. You're like, yeah, you knew the true church. Like, you're going to get it real bad. Um, but you did uh, go on after that. I'm not trying to jab you, I promise. I, I appreciate that. You go on to say that, of course, by their fruits, you shall know them. You quoted Matthew 7, the false prophets, the ravening wolves, uh, good fruit, evil fruit, so on and so forth. Joseph Smith, is, by the fruits, we shall know them. The Book of Mormon is Joseph Smith's fruits, right? The Book of Mormon is Joseph Smith's fruits, but the greatest fruit of all is the spirit, the Holy okay. Ghost. So what other of Joseph Smith's fruits, what other of Joseph Smith's things that he did, can we do? Can we know him by? What other? Well, the priesthood. The priesthood is, I think, uh, the biggest thing that we can really know him by. Okay, so the so, organizational structure of the church. The organizational structure of the church is the priesthood, the power to perform miracles, basically. Okay, yeah. and th where does that come from? Then? From Jesus. Okay, but the organization, the the priesthood itself, right? It's from Jesus. Yeah. How how did um, without Joseph Smith, arguably nobody would be giving each other the priesthood in the Mormon context uh, today. If Joseph Smith had not existed, the restoration itself would not exist. The Book of Mormon no, that's would not, not true. Exist. It would have just been someone else, and that was even addressed. That okay. can, I, I mean, yeah. so you you can just say that you you cannot demonstrate that. You can only just say that. You're right. You're right. And so I can just tell you my testimony of things that that would have happened. Yeah. Okay. And that's what so we're what really other, kind of coming down to. What other of Joseph Smith's fruits can we know him by? So we have we have the Book of Mormon itself, which is uh, a a 19th century Christian fan fiction, uh, white supremacist. According to you. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I'm happy to demonstrate these. I, I use these terms uh, broadly uh, because I feel like they summarize my my overall view of the Book of Mormon fairly well. Um, but I mean, I'm doing a, a, a weekly Book of Mormon scripture study on Aaron Ross' uh, YouTube channel, so you know, go check that out if if uh, viewers want to see us reading through the Book of Mormon and actually talking about it and actually pointing out the white supremacy in it. In any case, right, the the Book of Mormon is a case of it is a, a textbook that claims to be 
something that it is not. It is white supremacist, and it was written with the intention of Christianizing Native Americans, and it did not accomplish that. Um, so whites the fruits... were the cannibals. You realize that, right? What do you mean? The Book of Mormon ended with the Nephites being way more wicked than the than, than the Lamanites and right. them okay. being cannibals. So and you're yeah. misunderstanding what I mean. Christianizing the Native Americans. When the Book of Mormon was written in 1830, the Native Americans, the, the oppressed Native Americans, were the largest untapped body politic and body military that existed that was seen as up for grabs by European American settlers. So there were a lot of people who were trying to Christianize, to convert Native Americans to Christianity, because arguably then they would begin contributing to the European American effort of expansionism. Uh, they would assimilate and they would forget their Native American heritage and they would become more white and delightsome. Um, Joseph Smith just did this in a much more direct fashion by giving the Native American groups a, a Christian history of themselves that wasn't true. But he did it with the purpose of converting Native Americans to Christianity. Okay. Okay, so the fruits of the Book of Mormon are, it's a white supremacist text. It was written as a text to try and Christianize Native Americans, which is colonialism, it is erasure, it is... Uh, it is just part of a white supremacist idea is trying to convert all of the 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 unwashed savages to their Christianity, to their uh, religion. Right. Um, and you also called it the uh, the keystone of the religion. Right. Um, but there are so, 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 so many factual inaccuracies in the Book of Mormon. So many anachronisms. Right. Like we I didn't even begin to discuss them because you've been on modern day debates quite a few times. And with Mark Reed, he demonstrated a whole bunch of anachronisms in the Book of Mormon. Um, so the Book of Mormon is not true. You, you mentioned steel, for example. And so you're, you're calling it an anachronism. Or, sorry, anachronism. Is that right? <laughs> I said that an right? anachronism. Anachronism. Yeah. Sorry. You're calling it that, and which is defined as uh, something that is temporarily out of place, something that is out of time. And so it's kind right. of putting a TV back in those days when they obviously didn't have TV way back in those days. Right. Yeah. And so that's your, that's what that it means. And so um, you brought up an example of steel. Nephi had a steel bow, right. And that, mm -hmm. and so you're, you're claiming that that steel bow was an anachronism, correct? Yes. And you understand uh, the issue. Is, you you clearly so, wrap your mind around why this is a problem in the Book of Mormon. And so, well, you're, that's kind of addressing things from your perspective, but we're finding new things all the time uh, when it comes to uh, we're archaeology. steel in Native American The steel cultures. bow is actually a really strong evidence for... Uh, a steel bow yeah. in Native American cultures prior to Columbus. This is actually... Uh, Nephi, Steel that was swords and Israel. armor, horses and chariots. We're finding so, all these things, are we? There's uh, there's many things that are coming up. And so just because you're not aware of these things doesn't mean they didn't exist. So the, the problem with an anachronism is it cuts in many directions, right? So you can have an anachronism of like putting a TV in a place where there isn't supposed to be a TV, right? You can mm -hmm. also have, so there are anachronisms of omission and anachronisms of commission, if we're treating anachronisms like sins here, right? Um, so for, for the historian, when they are reading a text, they are reading it to see how well it fits in the culture and time from which the book is supposed to have come. So okay. they are looking for 
when things come up that don't belong there, and they're also looking up, looking for things to be there that should be there but are not there. Okay. So and so, this is your steel bow. You're claiming that it was not there very definitively, as if you have all no all knowledge about exactly how things were at that time period. Right. So but we're my still question learning would be, about things at that why, time period, and so things are still surfacing. And my so, question would be, why didn't the Book of Mormon talk about cacao beans? That's an error of or an anachronism of omission. It omitted mentioning cacao beans. Yeah, cacao beans were were widely traded and used as a monetary, used as a bartering commodity. Why are cacao beans not in there? I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of things in the Book of Mormon about specific cultures. And so did you know that Nephi was a giant? No, because he wasn't, because he's not real. Okay, so uh, it, it seems you're kind of addressing these things. These that This is what the Book of Mormon teaches, that he was a giant, and yet you're trying to address things. It doesn't fit uh, because I feel like you're mischaracterizing your understanding with history and the way the book of mormon is talking about and so because it's this way like you are characterizing the book of mormon here because it's this way with this culture then that must automatically mean it's that way with all of the native american cultures Uh, but at no point in the book of mormon does it say that this culture represented all of the different native american cultures i mean the book of mormon by its own claimed population statistics should have been the largest native american settlements in all of north south and central america I mean, how okay. big was Zarahemla supposed to be, supposedly, at the height of its population? I, I'm not sure. I don't know. A few hundred thousand people. right? The Jaredites numbered like two million people before they all killed each other off, right? Those are massive, right? Like, what, what, what LA is like, what, eight million people, right? You think that we wouldn't find evidence of a city from 4000 BCE that had two million people in it? There's a lot of things that kind of ended up washing it. Like we don't know about every single washing away. How did they wash away? Well, um, it comes down to bones end up deteriorating very fast. Okay. Okay. But structures of buildings take a lot longer to deteriorate. And And when another culture comes in and moves in after the other one, we saw this all the time with the Aztecs. And entire cities that have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of buildings all around each other take a really long time to deteriorate. And when they deteriorate, depends on what they build they them just, out of. They just don't disappear. They get covered by layers of sediment that we can dig down and find them. That's how archaeology works, right? Depends. When, yeah. It depends. Depends. Yeah. Think about Hawaii. Okay. Hawaii has, you know, when they're building grass huts forever, right? Uh, are we going to find a lot of like ancient, remnants of these grass huts grass huts not everything is you're, so permanent you're probably gonna find it if bundles of sticks put together that that resembled it but if you don't find the grass huts themselves you know what else you're gonna find garbage dumps you're gonna find tools you're gonna find stones that are that are that are uh turned into tools you're yeah, going we to do find this we do find stuff like this of okay of a civilization from 4000 bce in upstate new york that had two million people in yes it. we do we find we do. evidence of that yes we do please provide me a citation and so like prove to me we... right now prove to me right now that we have evidence for a civilization that was two million people large that all fought themselves to the death in somewhere in new england 
from 4000 BCE. Prove that to me right now. Kyle, do you not understand what I'm saying? Do you know how big a city has to be to inhabit 2 million people? There's been giants in the land. You've driven through Salt Lake City, right? It's like Mm -hmm. 600,000 people. Do you know Uh how big a city has to be for 2 million people to be there? Yeah, yeah. And you're telling me that we find evidence in the mound builders? There's a lot of evidence out there. Yeah. For 2 million people. Kyle. You need. You must be able to recognize that you're being extremely dishonest right now. No, I'm not. I'm being completely sincere. Okay. Then and show I feel like me just... the work. Show me the work. Show me the remnants of a civilization from 4,000 BCE that in that two million people inhabited in North America. I it, I won't even geographically constrain it to New England as the Book of Mormon does. I will give you all of North America. Show me the evidence right now. Share your screen and show me the evidence. Okay. Have you not seen the uh, the structural evidence of of like the the mound builders and what they built and the the Hebrew characters that they would built like right into the land? I'm asking you a question. This is Dan Vogel's book on it. It's an excellent book. He talks so much about the mound builders. It is a wonderful little book. It's an extremely short read. You can pick up a copy of it for yourself. And no point in it does he assert that there's a civilization that could in, that could contain 2 million people because nobody is claiming that because it is asinine. And how many people do you claim the Aztecs were and the Mayans and all I don't, these other civilizations? I don't know. I don't know. They, they, the, the size of these populations fluctuated greatly. Yeah. It's your book. It's your book of Mormon. This is your evidence that you have to prove. You are taking the assertive position that the book of Mormon is true here. I am saying there is no evidence to believe that it is true. There's plenty of evidence to believe that it is false. I am asking you to prove to me this one tiny piece of evidence that would prove one tiny bit of truthfulness of the book of Mormon. And if you can't show it to me right here, then we're done. Because the right. Book of Mormon is the foundation for the church, for the Mormon That's church, for the church true. of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And if the Book of Mormon itself is false, then the church itself is false. And Joseph Smith is a false prophet, and I rest my case. Okay. So, like I said, it comes down to, to God himself. That That is the foundation. Revelation is the foundation. Are you going to show me the evidence, Kyle? Are you okay. going to show me the evidence right now? There. Well, I've got a, uh, a guy. I can show you tons of different evidence uh, that... I don't have it organized exactly, but there's a YouTuber by the name of Michael P. And he goes into a lot more of the, the structural evidences out there. Uh, and you could just look look him up. M-I-C-H-A-E-L-P. And uh, he's got a lot more of the... You could show me kind of- maybe LIDAR scans or um, um, you know something from an, an archaeology journal or something that's peer-reviewed, not some dude's youtube channel oh and i will say guys we have 10 more minutes of open discussion before we move into the q a keep on tagging me in chat at amy newman with your chats and super chats but if you have a burning desire question for either one of your interlocutors now is the time to do so all right well by saying well now it has to be going through a peer-reviewed journal now you've just moved the goalposts i am not moving i am just trying so hard to hold the book of mormon to the standards of evidence that we hold everything else okay 
and except not for you're dismissing all pleading. of the miracles that take place and all the things that miracles are witness. not evidence for the book of mormon that the is book false of mormon, that is the false okay the biggest evidence is jesus lives and he testifies of these things the book and that of is mormon the big thing claims to be a textbook of history for the native americans it isn't that it is it, not true it, the book of mormon claims to be a textbook and uh that was kind of your whole thing on saying it isn't a textbook. That's what you said. In Russell M. Nelson statement. said that because he I, recognizes so now the trepidatious like waters that they are they're wading into when it comes to Book of Mormon historicity. The church itself, the corporate church, doesn't want to alienate a bunch of its followers by saying the Book of Mormon is not a historical book. So Russell M. Nelson had to try and walk a fine line because there are so many people who have been claiming and telling church leaders for decades and decades and decades since the foundation of the church that the book of mormon isn't true now we just have the internet that is amplifying those voices against the leadership so do you agree that a body that's above the ground okay that's rotting and decomposing on the ground do you agree that it can decompose really fast especially when there's a lot of rain and water (laughs) sure okay so if there's a ton like if we had a million people who were just suddenly dropped dead on the face of the earth above Mm -hmm. the ground yeah. Do you think they're going to be here 200 years from now? The the bodies and bones <laughs> oh, yeah. of all these oh, yeah. those people? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and probably not even covered with the, that much dirt and sediment that, that's covered them over that, that period of time. Like, I, and I, like, I'm not a geologist. I don't know how long it takes for layers of rock to, to, uh, to deposit. Um, and nor am I a biologist to know how long it takes for a body to decompose, uh, nor am I uh, familiar with any level of forensics that would uh, let me know how long it takes for the flesh to com- decompose versus the bones themselves decomposing. Because my understanding is that bones decompose over a very, very long, long period of time. And oftentimes oh, they can they can create a hollow in a rock that is replaced by lime or whatever that creates a fossil, right? So in a couple hundred years, yeah, sure. But the bodies themselves would be wonderful evidence for the Jaredites. What about everything else? What about their garbage dumps? What about their stables? What about the metallurgy that they must have had to build these civilizations that it talks about them having? What about their <laughs> smelters for the gold that it says that they had? What about those have been dug up. any they've, any they've found of, those any uh, for for a tribe that maps everything else for the jaredites it doesn't map where they got their stuff but they've been finding a lot of art then it's not evidence for the book of mormon is it it's evidence for the book of mormon when we find evidence of of uh the ancient minings the the mines that they would get where they'd get the 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 copper mines and the the iron mines and different things like that when when they find that stuff we can find evidence. those things. Do we find those located in places where it contributes to a body of evidence that shows that, oh, look, this smelter clearly, <laughs> this gold mine clearly belonged to the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. Or this garbage pit is exactly, we can pinpoint, this is the garbage pit of Zarahemla. Which Zarahemla was the biggest city in, according to the Book of Mormon, for what, six or 700 years? Something to that effect? What and kind of garbage do you think they had? I can think of sewage and sewage and this is, being fertilizer. It gets used up by the plants. This so, is how archaeology works. The majority of archaeology is digging in people's garbage dumps because that's how you learn about people. You learn by yeah. what they did, by what they threw out. 
Yeah. And so I'm thinking about a lot of biodegradable material, kind of leave no trace kind of stuff. And so I'm just but kind of like about wondering about what kind of garbage you're thinking they have, these ancient stuff. The buildings and the roads and the, the fortresses and the anything else. They had those and those things are being dug up all the time and they're finding more and more about it. And they're finding them. You just they're, like they've, they've specifically found one that looks like a menorah. Okay. A, a, a freaking place like was- land structures that look like a menorah. That is, that's pretty strong evidence to me. That's, that's strong evidence. Um, okay. So that's strong evidence for you, but that is not strong evidence for everybody else to believe okay, so in this. Now you're, right? now you're just moving you, the goalposts again. Here's no, you want no, I am pointing, Guile, I am pointing out that you are making a case of special pleading, that you are granting a case, you are granting evidence uh, for the Book of Mormon that nobody else would grant for any other proposition. Nobody the, else. That's a huge statement. I don't think you speak for everyone in the entire world. And so there's a lot of different people who do accept that. Okay. And that's why more people join the church every day because they experience miracles. Yeah. Okay. Angels, once again, angels still appear miracles, miracles are not evidence for a historical book false. of Mormon. Historical, false. What we have been talking about this whole time, and this is why I'm really trying to nail you down on this point, Kyle, is the book of Mormon claims to be a textbook of Christian native American Jews. Uh-huh. And so and it is the... not that. It's not that. It's I think we gotta freeze anyway. We gotta restart. Well, everybody, be sure to take this opportunity to like and share and subscribe and send in your chat, send in your super chats while we deal with a couple of uh, technological difficulties. <laughs> Absolutely. I will say that is actually almost at the end of the open discussion anyway. And so what I will hand over to you, Bryce, while we hopefully wait for Kyle to rejoin, is that if you would like, please tell us where people can find you out there on the interwebs and what are your final thoughts? Yes. Um, so I, uh, I I wish we would have gotten an opportunity to move on to Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, uh, and many of the other points brought up. Uh, unfortunately, the debate format just didn't quite allow that for that to happen. But this was also a, a fun and spirited conversation. So thank you very much, Modern Day Debates, for having both of us on to talk about this, to, to field some of these uh, difficult questions and allow us to kind of meet on a new, neutral playing field. Uh, so my name is Bryce Blankenegel. I am an independent Mormon history researcher and communicator. Uh, I do a serialized history podcast of Joseph Smith. That's Naked Mormonism. And I also do a, um, a current events show uh, based around Mormonism, and that's called the Glass Box Podcast. Uh, I also do various other projects uh, that involve things that are Mormon and uh, tangentially Mormon related. Uh, so you can find those Naked Mormonism and Glassbox podcast, or you can find my YouTube channel. That's the Naked Mormonism YouTube channel. Woo-hoo. Thank you so very much, Bryce. We are going to move into the Q&A section. I know that a bunch of your questions are for Kyle. So I'm hoping that he comes back. I'll give Bryce, of course, his chance to answer whatever he would like. But with that, we are going to move into it. Oh, here we go. He's back. Awesome, awesome. All right. 
And don't mind the screens, everyone. I'll make it look pretty once I get a question. Sorry about that. I told you my computer might crash on me all of a sudden, but there it happened. No worries. Not at Interesting all. timing, though. So uh, you were saying that the, the Book of Mormon is not a textbook, uh, is what you're... That was the last thing I heard. Well, that is correct. I will actually give you a chance to say whatever you'd want because we're moving into our closing statements. But if you would like, Kyle, tell people where can, people can find you out there on the Internet. And what are your final thoughts on the subject? Okay. My YouTube channel name is Kyle Adams. I mostly talk about conspiracies and uh, Flat Earth. That's uh, my favorite thing. So my tag name is uh, just Flat Earth Kyle. And so, uh, anyways, uh, the foundation of the church is that miracles happen. And as missionaries, we go out and we try to do everything we can to help people experience these miracles for themselves. And it's uh, with these miracles, that's why people get baptized is because they have this overwhelming confirmation coming directly from God that this church is true. That is what I've experienced in my life time and time and time again. And so we can look at all this dead evidence out there that we can kind of dismiss. Oh, did Joseph Smith really say that? Or maybe he didn't. And there's, all, there's all this other kind of stuff. We can talk about all these different uh, evidences out there, like the the picture or the, the codex I showed in the very beginning here. And we, I can point to that as evidence. And there's all this other stuff. But none of that, none of that compares to the witness of jesus christ himself and the witness of the holy ghost and uh that's my biggest testimony and uh and i invite anyone to, who wants to experience that to reach out to the missionaries they're pretty easy to find church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and uh you can look that up and there you go all right. I want to thank both of our interlocutors for that spirited back and forth. But with that, we are going to move into Super Chats. And chats, feel free to tag me in chat at Amy Newman or send all of your love for the support. I'm sending that love right back. Speaking of which, the first $5 Super Chat from Chris I just want everyone to know that Kyle does not speak as an authoritative position for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. I, I would think that you would agree with that, Kyle. Is that right? Well, I am a representative of Jesus Christ. I am a member of the church, and so, but that's as far as it goes. I'm not like a general authority or anything like that. So, yeah. All right, thank you so much for that response and your super chat, Chris. A channel membership sent in from Coffee Mom. Remember, kids, beliefs don't change reality. Agreed. Very good. Yep. All right, send so much love. Thank you, Coffee Mom. A $5 super chat from Dave Gar for both. Could Joseph Smith be a Cassandra archetype from classical mythology in terms of his prophecies? How would we know? I don't know who Cassandra is, so I couldn't really yeah, tell I'm you. I'm going to try and look that up uh, really quick. <laughs> we'll come uh, back to that. Make sense of that, yeah. Continuing on, sending love to Dave Gar. We'll ask one more time in a second, but manga fan Dan... 
for $5. If there were Quakers on the moon, could there technically be Quaker space oatmeal out there somewhere? <laughs> I don't believe man has ever been to the moon or anything like that. It, it, I liked the words of uh, President Joseph Fielding Smith, as you pointed out there, when it says no man could ever go there. And so, yeah, I, I like the Tower of Babel example of, uh, yeah, people trying to build their way up into heaven and yet all of a sudden Apollo and that's somehow permissible. I don't think so. I, I think it's a, I think it would be a boon to NASA to have food up in space so that they don't have to actually pack all of that for the astronauts, especially for longer journeys. Like, you know, eventually we're going to be sending people to Mars uh, and who knows, maybe, maybe beyond that in the next few hundred years after. Uh, so if they could just find food up there, how great would that be? Um, that would, that would cut back on their budget quite a lot, but unfortunately, yeah. Uh, until until those Quakers are discovered rolling their oats on the moon or uh, stuck. Yeah. And so that's one of the questions I had is the whole authenticity of that whole statement right there. Cause you know, people yeah. can write up all kinds of stuff and did he really say that is one, one of the major questions that we can uh, bring up here. It's a second hand source. That's fine. Okay. Uh, most, most of the sermons that we have from Joseph Smith are second hand sources. Anyway, yeah. So. And it happens and that happens. And so I, I think one of the, the really, things about joseph smith is uh we have we acknowledge at least i acknowledge that he was a very imperfect person uh he yeah just like us uh there's a there's a difference between imperfect and a criminal kingpin right like you you can be imperfect without being a monster right okay and so i i'm not convinced that he was a monster as you accuse him to be I mean, so. he was he was a I mean, he died while a fugitive from justice for treason, for murder, for arson, for robbery. Uh, and then he did he ever a, commit any of those things that he was accused of? And this is the whole yeah, other yeah. question. Yeah. Uh, so it, you can read the court of inquiry documents yourselves. In fact, I just did that on Glassbox podcast a few episodes back. We went through the Missouri Mormon War and everything that happened there. Uh, and we talk extensively about the Mormon uh, raiding parties uh, and the conflicts that were brewing between the Missourians and the Mormons uh, and all of the charges that were uh, uh, leveled or that were uh, sworn out as indictments against Joseph Smith. Yeah. And, and, uh, and people can make up other all kinds of different accusations right make up is a lot different than a court of law that he had surrendered to and was held a court hearing right you know like his twin People cities can... adam on diamond and far west were surrounded by missouri militia because he had incited a civil war and he surrendered you recognize that that's how so, he how, got locked so up from Liberty the, jail the, right the big thing here is really authenticating all of this stuff and so like i said we can throw out accusations did he really do this and did he really do that and i wasn't there i can't really not, testify of that and they're so, not really so much accusations when they are you're reading like witness statements in a court of law and you're reading the actual document correspondence between the military leaders at the time there are false and you're reading witnesses actual, all over the place people get uh, get thrown into prison all the time because of false witnesses I don't think you are quite understanding. Do the you agree that false witnesses what... exist? Yeah. Oh, 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 for sure. That does not grant your point, though. I don't think you're understanding the gravity of what happened in the 1838 Missouri Mormon War. I don't think you you uh, quite grasp that Joseph Smith had literally brought an entire state to the precipice of civil war. And then he did it again in Illinois, but instead was assassinated during his presidential campaign. So he couldn't 
go forward, he couldn't actually conduct the Civil War the way that he did in Missouri, right? And we're kind of short on time here uh, for this particular so topic. I, I wish, we, can spend I wish the rest we could of have focused so much more this. on Joseph Smith. But, I'm not a Joseph Scriptures uh, expert. I am a Joseph Smith expert. So if we wanted to talk on this, we could spend the rest of the, of, of many, many, many debate time frames on just the, the topic of Joseph Smith. Yeah. So like I said, you, you can make all kinds of accusations as you want, but yeah. Like God be true and every man a liar. Is, he died a he died a criminal kingpin. And so, so that's just that's, a statement. According that's one point of view. And that's, that's, that's we're gonna end statement. on that very much. We're gonna keep yeah. on moving forward because we have a whole bunch of love coming in. In fact, from Justin Johnson, gifted five memberships out there to the community. We want to thank Justin and remind very everyone good. that you can become a channel membership and get a channel member, I should say, and get a whole bunch of cool emojis out there in chat. Sending so much love. We'll ask again, coming back to Dave Gars, for both, could Joseph Smith be a Cassandra archetype from classical mythology in terms of his prophecies? How would we know? You asked that one already. Oh, I, yeah, so I, I think uh, so. Basically, Cassandra archetype is somebody who relates valid warnings or concerns that are disbelieved by others, at least according to the Wikipedia page. Um, sure. Look, so I did an episode of Glassbox a little while ago that was the Book of Mormon compared to the current Mormon church just to see how the church today compares with the actual scriptural text that it considers its foundation. And I just read passage after passage out of the Book of Mormon and showed how much the church today is in blatant error compared to the Book of Mormon itself. Um, so yeah, I look, if you want to take his prophecies, the Book of Mormon as one of his prophecies, talking about the dangers of uh, unrighteous dominion and uh, wealthy people taking over the world, the Book of Mormon is full of that. So sure, okay, cool. But he was just really tapping into societal archetypes that were not foreign to Joseph Smith at the time. He just wrote them through the lens of his Christian 19th century narrative. Thank you so very much for that. Another five memberships coming in from Justin, sending so much love. In fact, I see lots of love from him throughout the entire podcast, so we're sending that back to him. A $5 super chat from Big Thang Flying Wen. When did Mormon God, when did I assume the Mormon God, decide that black and brown people weren't evil? Was it before or after Carl Malone? Also, where are the seer stones? What are seer stones? Okay, well, God never claimed what are or black where are people were evil. Very specifically, where are the seer stones? Where are, okay. Where are the seer stones? I, I don't I don't know about that. And so uh yeah, that's kind of yeah, I'm not sure. So that's my direct answer for that. Okay. And um yeah, God loves all people, not you know, he's not a respecter of persons. He, he loves all people, black, white, everything in between. All right, thank so, you. So oh did so you I I want to answer the seer stones question really quick because there are a bunch of seer stones. Um, this is early Mormonism in the magic worldview. Uh, this one is, this is the Whitmer. No, no, no. That's the blood amulet. I'm sorry. Um, 
So there are like possibly as many as seven different seer stones that Joseph Smith had and used at various times in his life. Uh, the one that everybody knows is the chocolate colored seer stone. I mean, a bunch of ex Mormons and Sunstoners have have these. Uh, so you know that's that's my personal Joseph Smith seer stone. Um, but there are a bunch that are in private collections, um, and one of them that I really want to see. I call it the Peyote seer stone. Here you go. So this is uh, this is what I call the Peyote seer stone. That one is actually located in the Wilford Wood Archive uh, in uh, North Salt Lake. And I went when I toured the Wilford Wood Museum. I asked to see this, and they were like, "No, no, you don't get to see one of the, the seer stones." Um, but then we have Joseph Smith's uh, green seer stone that's in the uh, the Daughters of the Utah Pioneers Museum, I believe. Um, and the one the chocolate seer stone that's in the church's vault uh, in the, the Granite Mountains. Uh, so uh, there are different seer stones that are in different collections. It's actually a really fascinating subject. So I kind of wonder about the whole thing on uh, exactly was this one or are these different ones that they, they speculated he used? And so I enjoy learning about like the history of that and kind of authenticating these things uh, for myself. And uh, like I said, going through the different uh, records and and reading that from different perspectives and different people. Yeah. You a, you a fan of D. Michael Quinn then? That's good to hear. I don't even know who that is. Oh, bummer. Okay. And then I'd say the last word was on you, Kyle, but if everyone's got everything they wanted to say oh, going out. Yeah, I'm all good. All right. Sending so much love. Thank you to that response. And then coming in from Anathema, she also gifted five modern day debate memberships we are getting so much love out there out in chat and all of our fantastic viewers and subscribers are seeing it so thank you so very much as well as a five dollar super chat coming in from oflamo bryce how many different gods are there if your answer is zero how can you say the LDS God and the Islam, the Islamic God, I suppose, are different? Oh, uh, yeah. So, um, uh, look, so I believe there is no evidence for any gods. I believe that there are as many people uh, out there that believe in God. There are that many different gods that exist in people's minds um, because gods are created in humans image. Um, as for Joseph Smith's gods versus uh, the god of the Quran, Allah, um, Joseph Smith believed in a very, very unique god. And this is actually, unfortunately, not really anywhere in the scriptural texts of the Book of Mormon or the Doctrine and Covenants or the Pearl of Great Price. Um, but the, I think the most elegant of Joseph Smith's god conceptions, because his, his god conception evolved so much in his 14-year ministry, his most elegant conception is uh, comes from what's known as the King Follett Discourse. This is a discourse that was given, what, a month and a half, two months before he was assassinated, and it kind of represents uh, his terminal theology, his ultimate grandest theology. And he didn't believe in God. He believed in a council of gods and that we are can each be invited into that council if we are if we're good tithing, paying Mormons our whole life and we get sealed in the temple and we take three wives with us to, to heaven. Uh, that's how we get to the celestial kingdom, which is then granted into this this council of this council of gods. Um, if you, you were to say that talk any of that in the King Paul, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, right. So he presented the council of gods. And then I am just extrapolating based on the conception that he created. Um, he also talked about infants on thrones, but I don't want to talk about that here because that's that gets way too in the weeds of super deep esoteric Mormon theology that I think is not relevant here to the question. But I would be willing to bet that if you start talking to a believing Muslim about a council of Allah's, they're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's unacceptable. Sorry. What are you talking about? That is that is not the God that I believe in. So I'm basing my conceptions of deity from an extremely lay person's understanding of Islam and of um, quasi expert understanding of uh, Mormon theology. Okay. And do you agree that the word Elohim has a meaning that just means great leader? I mean, it's a and, and plural Hebrew, Hebrew word. It just means great leader, right? I mean, or or plural gods. Or plural gods, yeah. And so the King Follett sermon specifically really highlighted the word Elohim and that it means great leader and that we are all children of our Heavenly Father, which is like a pretty core doctrine there uh, for all of us. And uh, yeah, it's just repeating what Jesus taught. Ye are children of of God. Yeah, King Follett discourse is super interesting. Uh, when I did my Book of Mormon project, that was a podcast where I read through the Doctrine and Covenants with a co-host um, and I actually talked about the historical setting for each of the revelations. Fascinating project, but we read through the King Follett discourse just to talk about like how wacky and how how goofy and how crazy it is. Uh, so there's a whole lot of stuff that is built into it. Um, and actually some interesting disagreements among the three different accounts that we have of people who are in the audience taking the notes on it. Uh, and I talked all of that over with my uh, co-host Marie and we had a great fun talking about the the King Follett discourse. So if you want to find that my book of Mormon podcast, check out the King Follett discourse episode. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Thank you so very much. I've got a copy of that, but I think this is kind of a huge tangent from the original question that was asked. So yeah, the the original uh, my copy of it. It's really great, and I I had a lot of fun seeing it substantiated when it comes to the very first word in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, Bereshit is what it, it ends up talking about, which uh, actually looking at the Hebrew, yeah, it's totally legit. And it was that was, I think, one of the strongest points uh, in, in the King Fallen Sermon. But again, so, that's a huge tangent from the original question uh, that was asked to you about uh, exactly how are you so certain that there are no gods? I'm not certain there are no gods. I have no evidence to believe there are gods. Okay, so I think that's... Isn't that the different... Isn't that agnostic, not atheist? Because isn't atheist saying I live there are no my gods? Life, I live my life as an atheist. I worship no gods. That's what okay. atheist means. And I am agnostic because it is impossible to know whether or not God exists. I think that answers the question that was asked. Thank you. Thank you so very much. And a $5 super chat again coming in from Oflamo coming after you, Bryce. Bryce, what is your test for divinity? Um, that's, that is a, a non sequitur, um, because that, that presupposes that there is divinity, that divinity is something that is testable and existent. And if, if I knew what that test was or what that evidence was, then I would be a theist because I follow the evidence. 
but I don't see that evidence. I've never been presented with evidence that divinity or God exists. Therefore, I have no reason to believe. Well, in science, we try to rule out other factors, don't we? Uh, yeah, sure. And so I think that was the question is kind of what are you doing to rule out God as a factor? I mean, I have naturalistic explanations for uh, spiritual experiences. Okay. That so doesn't seem like it, it requires the existence of God. Okay. So um, the whole miracle of okay, just being healed. Okay. If uh, someone had an extreme example, I, I like to point to uh, John Alexander Dowie, even though he's not a member, but he's, he's still very much a believer in Christ and all the miracles that happened. Uh, when you have a woman who's been bleeding uh, uh, for, for, a long time and gone through all this kind of torture and all of a sudden uh because she believed in christ and had this experience uh with that all of a sudden now she's healed uh how do you rule out god healing her a dude on youtube is not evidence it's not a dude on well okay a testimony is evidence a testimony uh used as evidence needs to be weighed appropriately compared to other methods of collecting evidence okay so and do you agree with me that a testimony tes is evidence uh okay so testimonial evidence is one of the weakest evidences that we have okay, for example but it is evidence for example i mean numerous tests have been done on this where uh, uh, a person who is set up who is conducting the test runs in and robs a store and they immediately interview people afterwards about what the person looked like and they give wildly different um, visual uh, descriptions of what the person looked like yeah um, and that's immediately after it happens so testimonial evidence is the lowest degree of evidence it is the least reliable evidence but sometimes but it is the only it, but it yeah. is sometimes it is the only evidence that we have and not all evidence is equal okay and so uh for me saying my cat eats food because i witnessed this happen that's a testimonial evidence but it's a that testimonial evidence for me actually experiencing watching my cat eat food okay that so is, i've heard that's you a lot stronger I've heard this this line before. Uh, the, I don't think that you are grasping, or maybe you are willfully trying not to grasp that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. A I cat totally agree with is that. That's part of my something. foundation. A cat is going to eat something, whether that's food or the owner dies in their house and the cat has to eat the owner's face because it doesn't have food. The cat is going to eat something. So that is a mundane claim that your cat eats food. Well, I'm trying to just say that there's uh, there's the personal testimony evidence, and then there's right. secondary testimony evidence, and so that's where we say man cannot live by borrowed light alone. They have to yeah attain their own light. Man cannot live on borrowed light. That's the that's the phrase. Okay. Um, that, there's so, so many. Uh, you you right. walk down this rabbit trail with both. Uh, uh, I think it was with both T Jump and Mark Reed. Uh, we don't we don't need to. Well, you already agreed. They did yeah, a much was, better job. You stated you stated in your opening argument that you believe things can be true, and I thought I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I finally I finally get a uh, to talk to someone who believes in that agrees with me on that. That thing that something that is can be proven true that that's great and then that's because the so question, i don't have to play that card with you because the question was for bryce he's going to get the final word okay um so the, the the this is another part of uh your stick that i've noticed as well kyle is your twisting of definitions of proving versus proofs and um proving 
something versus a mathematical proof of something or, or, or a mathematical proof. Um, things can be true. You can conclude that something is true. For example, it's true that you and I are talking across cyberspace right now, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I didn't need to prove that because you and I are both Inter interacting in this exchange you and i can both see that this is going on everybody who's watching can see that this is going on therefore that is evidence enough that that is a true statement right i'm glad we can agree that yeah things right. that we can use that word as true because that was the okay whole so that is a McLaughlin true statement who said that we should eliminate the words words like prove and true and correct and words like that from our vocabulary your, your misreading of your misreading of that quote is is very troubling to me um, oh, it's not misreading at all. So. I need to, so I want to see the context of that. They actually entire retired article. that argument. I won that victory. They retired it. I still have a copy of it, but I, yeah, they retired it. It's no longer there with the uh, the Journal of College Science Teaching. Wait, all so the links the, to it. So the article was taken down because it you were using it too much. Down. It was taken down. I won that victory. So I'm I'm really happy about that. Wow. Wow, that is that is not a uh, that is not a badge of honor. That uh, that I feel like that. Okay, so every rule, every crazy rule, always has a story attended with it. Them removing that post, it sounds like they had a, a crazy person attended with it. So I I get, <laughs> I get it. I understand. And then on that note, sending so much love from cheeky, cheeky. For five dollars, Kyle. If Joseph Smith was a prophet, why did he translate the Kinderhook plates as someone's history when they were an admitted hoax? Kind of a loaded question there, as to to claim he did do that. Can I really acknowledge that he did? That's a whole other question. Like I said, it's kind of going back into yeah, into the gray this areas. Just use the the claim that you've been using quite a few times with me is that there's no evidence that he actually translated it. All we have is the when they publish in the, we have the a, times and seasons. Secondary evidence. We have secondary evidence of people. Uh, I mean, all we have testimonies that, that these things happened. Right. All that we have is the times and seasons report about the Kinderhook plates announcing that they had been found, saying that the translation process has begun. But we don't have the translation of it. So you can very easily deal with the Kinderhook plates by just saying we don't have the translation. Therefore, it never happened. I'm giving this to you like this is this is my kindness to you. OK. And then, all right, you had the final word. And so moving forward with a super chat from David, sending love again for $5. Kyle, do you agree with the Book of Mormon that surely it is the earth that moveth and not the sun? Or are you heretical in that regard? I did a video specifically about Helaman chapter 12 that you're referring to, and uh that's actually a hypothetical statement. If you look carefully, uh, yeah, the earth is not moving. And so, yeah. Thank you so very much, David, for your super chat and for your response. And Thank you, David. coming in from skeptics and scoundrels for being a member. Thank you so very much. Jesus lives. Where is he? Show me a living dude. Show you a living dude. Well, that's kind of what missionaries are supposed to do. That's that's our mission, to go and invite people to come into Christ and help them develop these relationships. And so uh, if you want to develop that relationship, 
with Jesus Christ and get to know the living Christ, I really recommend reaching out to your local missionaries and or your local you Methodist group, your local Baptists, your local Jehovah's and if Witnesses. You keep your, okay. If you make and keep commitments, you'll watch the miracles happen. And yeah, you'll see this living Christ manifest himself to you. Uh, I think you're muted, Amy. Have to do that at least once a podcast. There we go. Uh, (laughs) Coming in, thank you, Skepsis and Scoundrels, for your your questions, what I said. But the Sinister Porpoise for $2, sending love. No, all of the Cassandra's prophecies were true. Joseph Smith won. Okay, I don't know, again, about Cassandra, so I can't really speak on that topic. Yeah, me, 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 me either. Uh, but I think it is at least worth the, the the thought experiment of, like, what does what what is useful out of the Book of Mormon? As purely a literary piece, what is useful out of it? And if you want to read it as commentary on the way that the rich people interact with the poor people or the way that, um, you know, the way that power dynamics work, or if you're reading it as commentary on early American um, history, uh, especially with the reign of judges and the Supreme Court, um, you can read it as that. You just need to read it through the lens of 19th century American uh, Christianity. Uh, Christian magic, particularly. Mm-hmm. Thank you so very much for that response and the Sinister Porpoise for all the love and support. Another, and thus I really am sending a whole bunch of love out there to Justin Johnson, who again gifted five modern day debate memberships, sending love to all of the new members out there. Welcome on board the family and. Thank you, Justin, for all love and support. A $10 super chat coming in from Forrest Clay. He very much says, counterfeiting. Mm, I wish we could have spent more time on Joseph Smith. But yes, counterfeiting is something that followed Joseph Smith and his father, the entire Smith family, their entire lives. And it's something it was one of the charges that was against him uh, when he was locked up in Carthage jail. And uh, never saw the resolution of it because, well, he was shot. But counterfeiting, I mean, uh, entire books have been written about counterfeiting in early Mormonism because there's just so much evidence for it. Again, you can make all kinds of, you know, false accusations against him, but coming false, down and proving okay, it but you, is a whole you, other thing. Kyle, you're not familiar with the with the actual source documents, so you calling it a false accusation is kind of an argument from ignorance, isn't it? No, not at all. Yeah. If you haven't read the source documents, you are ignorant about the source documents. Therefore, you're making an argument from ignorance. You're calling. Do them you false claim that this is proof? That do you claim you have proof? I mean, we matter? have we have li- like we have literal Nauvoo counterfeit coins. Yes, we have proof that counterfeit coins were circulating in Nauvoo. Yes, and do you have proof that Joseph Smith was the one responsible for making counterfeit coins? We have proof that there were members in his council of fifty. That, no, his council. Sorry, <laughs> super esoteric Mormon stuff. Uh, Joseph Smith, uh, w- when in the last year of his life, eighteen forty-four, he was he had extreme delusions of grandeur. He was running for president. Uh, so. 
so he formed a provisional uh, government that would replace the American government once he was able to overthrow it. Uh, and that provisional government was called the Council of 50. And a part of the Council of 50, it was supposed to operate as a secular government that was beholden essentially to Joseph Smith. It was the the uh, mechanisms of Joseph Smith's theocracy. Um, but there were people who were members of the Council of 50, which was a super elite group who were very deeply involved in the counterfeiting ring that was going on in Nafu. Now, did Joseph Smith tell them to do it? It was Joseph Smith himself involved with it. We don't have evidence for that, but what we do have evidence for is that members of his council of 50 were doing counterfeiting. And so Joseph Smith is in trouble it. for something that there is no evidence for him doing. Uh, that's just what, exactly what you told me. Right. So this is why we have Rico charges, right? Because when you have a, a criminal kingpin, he never does any of the crimes himself, but he has all of his underlings do the crimes, right? So if these people are members of his closest and highest ranking leadership body of the church that is going to serve as the government of his theocracy and they are doing crimes, the criminal kingpin at the head of the conspiracy that is committing these crimes is responsible for the crimes that all of the underlings are doing. Because if the criminal kingpin did not exist, those people arguably would not be doing those crimes in furtherance of that kingpin's goals. Okay, so you're still your statement is still that there is no evidence that Joseph Smith did anything that he was accused of doing. Oh, there's plenty of evidence for Joseph Smith okay, doing so that... lots of what he was accused of doing. Counterfeiting, the charge of counterfeiting specifically, we don't have explicit evidence, documentary evidence that ties Joseph Smith to counterfeiting. What we have is members of Joseph Smith's closest held leadership body doing counterfeiting. Is Joseph Smith responsible for that? Is Joseph Smith responsible for that? I think a reasonable argument could be made both ways. Okay. Uh, however, charges of murder arson uh robbery uh treason uh plenty of other charges adultery we we do have explicit evidence of joseph Smith doing those things so evidence but not proof right <laughs> just just <laughs> secondary evidence just, just secondary evidence just testimonial evidence so it's not that useful okay and so as you said it's the weakest evidence out there as, as that's your terms yeah sometimes it's the only evidence we have okay I will say we only have five, ten more minutes left of the Q&A. And so if you really have a question for either or both of our interlocutors, now is the time to get those super chats in. I do want to thank everyone out there, including On Fire for Jesus Apologetic, a new member. Welcome to the family. Uh, we are looking for more people out here, looking for modern day debates. Uh, from 561 Lifestyle for $10, a multi-faceted super chat. Amy, what were you assigned at birth asking for a friend? Kyle, is there a better flat earth debater than Witsit on the internet? And finally... Where is there a space where flat earth isn't censored? I will say I am a very proud male to female transgender woman assigned one sex with a gender. But that's identity politics. That's not what you're here for. We're here to talk about is Joseph Smith a prophet of God? So going right forward, Kyle asking, is there a better flat earth debater? Might have a friend out there than wits it, and any space out there where flat Earth isn't censored. 
I love Witsa Gets It. Yeah, he's fellow Globuster with me. And yeah, he does a fantastic job. Uh, do I, is there someone else out there who uh, can do better than him? I'm not really sure. I, yeah, I, I can't speak on behalf of all Flat Earthers, so I'm not going to make any claims there. But uh, yeah, he's he's there. I love him. So uh, The other question about uncensored. Um, I do a, my own debate board where yeah, Flat Earth can speak openly and freely. There's a lot of different places out there. The best way to find a place that's uncensored is finding your own group of Flat Earthers through the Flat Earth, uh, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac Clock app, uh, where you can find local meetups in you or near you uh, in your own city. Like they're all over the place. I went on a trip out to Phoenix over there, and I just said, "Hey, I'm in Phoenix. When's the next meetup?" And we got one going. And there's tons of Flat Earthers everywhere. It's awesome. So yeah, the best way to find that uncensored place is in your own communities, in your own homes. Thank you so very much for the support of the Super Chat and sending so much love for the response from Interlocutors. And $5 Super Chat from Skeptics and Scoundrels. Kyle, please give us one plausible and verifiable falsification criterion for Mormonism. Okay, say that again. Absolutely. So, coming from Skeptics and Scandals for $5, Kyle, please give us one plausible and verifiable falsification criterion for Mormonism. A verifiable falsification criterion. And so, um, this would be Alma chapter 32 that he really comes out, and I just barely did a video about it too, about how, uh, yeah, faith that has, um, okay. Uh, if there is no fruit, uh, uh, okay. If you plant a seed and it grows and it never bears through, you just, uh, call it a bad seed and throw it out. And so Alma chapter 32 gives that, uh, falsification criterion. Uh, if you plant a seed and it never grows, throw it out. And that was, I think the, the title of the video I just barely didn't talk about. And so that was my whole, the same video you did a little book burning with your daughter in the backyard at the end. That was fun. Uh, was that the same video? I don't remember. I think, yeah, I think that was, that was, yeah, that was it. We, we burned the article special little moment. It was a special moment. And so, but it wasn't my daughter in that video though, that that was a different one. We, that was the smashing of the globe that she was in. (laughs) So my mistake. Sending so much love once again. To everyone out there for all the love and support, another $5 super chat from Big Thang Flying Wen. Testimony is the lowest form of evidence and is thrown out when any other evidence conflicts. Feelings aren't facts, but they are in church. Testimony, well, there's secondary testimony, listening to other people, and then there's the personal testimony, and so me witnessing for myself, my cat eating food is pretty strong. Uh, you know, that's witnessing it for yourself. You don't throw that out. If that's like foundational right there, if it's something that you actually observe for yourself, nothing else compares to that. And so if like a hundred people say, no, this never happened, but you saw it for yourself, then yeah, you're going to throw everyone you, else out and say, this probably, actually happened. You probably hallucinated. And you senses can, that, can deceive, but... right? Your senses can deceive you. Your senses can deceive you, yes. Yeah, so if your senses lead you to conclude something that a hundred other people are concluding the opposite, 
what is more likely that all 100 people are wrong or that one person is wrong? I feel like you're making an ad populum argument there. <laughs> oh, so. Well, okay. But that, okay. So if we're talking about, um, okay, so let's, let's provide an example. You're standing in a crowd of a hundred people. You're the 101st person in a crowd of 100 people. You see a UFO touch down in the center of the group and um, drop a cat out of it that drops down and then runs up and rubs up against your leg and then goes back up in the UFO and then it flies away. But all of the other 100 people did not see that. Who okay. is What is more likely, that all 100 people are deluded or that one person is deluded? Um exactly what is likely and what is not likely i don't like to to put numbers on something that can't be this is this is test like why we say that witness testimony is the first to get thrown out because witness testimony is inherently the least reliable form of evidence but it is a form of evidence right okay so because people senses can fail them memory is exceptionally fickle and exceptionally hard to deal with, uh, especially remembered conversations, especially years and years after the fact. Oh, I agree. Right? Yeah. So, right. Like, so in like, people can also just be delusional. People can hallucinate all sorts of things. So you continue to hold up witness testimony as evidence for the book of Mormon. When there are mountains of circumstantial and documentary evidence that prove that it isn't what it is. But on the other hand, you're saying, but I have all of this millions of people saying that they have a testimony. The Book of Mormon is true. Okay, well, a million testimonies saying it's true get immediately thrown out as soon as we find one anachronism in the book. One anachronism totally borks an entire book of history. Oh, That's I all very much disagree because we're finding more things show up all the time about uh, metallurgy that we didn't know about before. And so our, our knowledge of history yeah. is we're finding we're finding chariots in North America, chariots and steel swords and shields okay. and armor. Just because you haven't found it or just because you're not aware of any of that yet doesn't mean they don't exist. All right. You know what? Tell, tell you what. You hold your breath. I will not. Let's see who ends up being vindicated for evidence for the Book of Mormon. I think that was one of the interesting things was finding the boomerang. I think it was uh, in Chichen Itza, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, finding the boomerang over there. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting uh, ancient technology that, you know, the, the ancients weren't caved in. There, there weren't just a bunch of uh, stupid idiots or anything like that. Oh, but they, they were they had humans living, living and interacting in the world that they that they have using the tools that they have to understand the world around them and now we have a lot better tools we have much better ways of observing the world around us and yet you're rejecting our modern observations for observations of those people there's a lot that we're still learning about and we're finding out more and more that the ancients right. were far more uh advanced than than today we give them credit for and okay so but the you, book of mormon manifest destiny specifically earlier and you're totally condemning it right but a lot of that manifest destiny is kind of uh the thing that's the very thing that's uh describing all the ancients as a whole bunch of stupid idiots and oh they didn't know anything and so we uh, we, we don't want to describe them as being anything uh advanced and intellectual or anything like that they're just a bunch of savages right okay and so that's one of the big things about the book of mormon is it's actually saying these are it's, not just a bunch of you know stupid savages but they're a lot more advanced than people give them credit for 
And it's so it's pretty, pretty rich for you to say that I am utilizing Manifest Destiny and what I say when I'm glad you, you are the one who so claims it's, the it's book a of very, it's a when very you, strong and potent. I'm sorry, when statement. you are the one claiming the Book of Mormon, a text of 19th century white supremacy American expansionism as a book of scripture. And then Kyle, you have saying, the last sentence, but please not a question, because then we're going to go on to another question for you. Okay, the the ancients were far more advanced than uh, than a lot of people give them credit for. I already said that, so yeah, okay. you can go on. That's fine. All right, and these are going to be the last few super chats. I think even if they start to come in now, because we want to respect our interlocutors' times, we're so thankful they came on. And so, a five dollar super chat from Forrest Clay. He created the illegal bank in the Kirtland Safety Society where they printed the counterfeit money. Okay. I haven't seen the evidence saying that for a lot of this stuff. So yeah, when you can bring that evidence, we could talk about that. And all right. Yes. Coming um, in. And oh. very, very quick clarification. Yeah. Testimonial evidence is evidence. And so, yeah, I, don't, I haven't really this, seen the record. This is something that comes up in uh, Mormon stuff a whole lot, but I mean, you can see it on the cover of this, right? So that's a Kirtland Safety Society banknote right there. Um, a lot of ex-Mormons will say that this was counterfeit money. It was not counterfeit money. It was their money. We understand money today as the greenbacks. So that's a product of the Civil War. Uh, it was far more common for banks to print notes and that they would have the specie on hand and we would exchange those notes for each other back and forth. And that also came in the form of promissory notes. So the Kirtland Safety Society was a bank that applied for a bank charter and didn't get it. And then and they changed their name to an anti-banking society and just printed their own notes. But it was not counterfeit. Counterfeit was far more prevalent in Nauvoo, where they were actually making fake coins. Uh, so that's bogus. Counterfeit is paper money. Bogus is coins. They were making counterfeit money in Nauvoo. Kirtland Safety Society was specifically, they were making society bills of their own. And okay. Thank you for that. Coming after you, Bryce. $5 super chat from Chris. Bryce, is there any evidence that Joseph Smith taught the Earth was a sphere? Um, he there's secondhand evidence that he talked about um, ancient Jews living in a hollow center of an Earth, um, but he describes the migrations of the natives through the book of mormon through what i interpret through a lens of a uh, globe earth i see no evidence that joseph smith ever taught a flat earth or ever believed in a flat earth um, because i think that it was far more prevalent consensus back then that globe earth was it because he was living on the other side of the globe that was still a novel thing for a lot of people in the 1800s. It was still understood to be the new world. That's, you know, that's kind of fallen out of vogue of our terminology today, but America was still seen as the new world. They were living on the other side of the globe that Columbus so bravely set sail across in 1492. Thank you so very much for that response and for that super chat, Chris. Another from Skeptics and Scoundrels coming after you for $5. 
you really need to learn what verifiable falsification criterion for Mormonism actually means. Care to try again? Uh, I think I did a good job before. So just saying you need to understand that's just, yeah, trying to, so, to mean what, what I said. But whatever. What would convince you? What would convince you? Right. Like I built into my presentation what would convince me that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God. That was the whole entire second portion of my presentation. What would convince you Joseph Smith is not a true prophet? That's all it is. What would convince me that Joseph Smith was not a true prophet? And so uh that's kind of like shaking like the foundation, kind of like pulling. Yeah, you've got to actually it's kind of like the 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 flat earth what would convince me that the earth isn't flat and so if you want to address that you actually have to address the actual evidences that i've actually established and so kind of like hearing me out on the different things and so it okay so no kind of I, it's not about other people understanding things that you're saying it's about you understanding things other people are saying what is the thing that somebody could say that could convince you otherwise what is something that someone else could say that would convince me otherwise? Yes. Or uh, what fact could you learn that would prove that Joseph Smith is a false prophet? Well, like I said, the foundation is in revelation. And so it'd have to be like a direct revelation from God that comes out and says, no, this is not true. And so I think that's what it really what it would come down to. Okay. I mean, there's the, the Church of Christ, right? The Church of Christ believes that Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet when he first changed the name in 1834. They are the ones who hold the temple lot in Missouri, right? They 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 believe that Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet, right? So they have the revelation that says that this is that he is not a true prophet anymore. And and that's why um, oh, that's as what they the, claim. The parishites I as well. Had that experience. I haven't had that experience, and so that's why I'm I'm where I am, and they are where they are. So it would have to be a feeling. It would have to be a feeling that is as powerful for you that confirms the Book of Mormon is true. That would it would have to be that powerful, same magnitude of that feeling that would prove that the Book of Mormon is false. Well, it's not necessarily a feeling because there's different uh, witnesses that you know. That's there's a lot more than just one sense. There's multiple senses that can confirm things, and so yeah, just just one sense is kind of a. Uh, in dreams, you can experience like one sense at a time, but there's a difference between being asleep and awake. And that is when multiple senses are engaged and activated. And so in my, when I'm asleep, I can't, uh, I might be able to smell something, but that doesn't mean I can touch something at the same time and taste something at the same time. And there's all these other uh, senses that are alive and so when it comes to waking up that's when you start to try to engage your other senses and as you try to engage your other senses that's ends up triggering a, a wake-up response and when you start to think about things deeper and so yeah, okay so you... so but it is all still internal right so I, i'm sorry amy just just i want to just chase this just a little bit further so but it is all still internal right it is your senses it is what you are experiencing it is your so what external evidence what is your criterion for proving that Joseph Smith is not a true prophet? What is your external well, evidence that you would have to take in from the outside world that would have to go into your brain? What is that evidence? That is exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm just saying, like, all of our senses are for, well, almost all, are for examining external things, except for, like, hunger. Maybe that's, like, an, a sense of something internal. But uh, the, the main senses that we think about are for examining external factors, Right. Yes. And so, yeah, 
so that's what, kind of what I'm talking about. And so revelation itself, right? But uh, there's there are there are internal factors when it comes to revelation, but there's also external factors in, involving revelation. So I gave that example of the uh, the car accident and seeing the the ghost in my backyard in my in the backseat of my car, and you know that whole miracle that was an external factor. Okay. <clears throat> And all right, we only have two Super Chats left. I have one for each of you. I do want to, again, uh, send all the love right back to everyone who's supporting the channel. But a $10 Super Chat, again from Chris, Bryce, how do you determine whether a statement was factual or if he was just saying something to test, to see if people believed it just because Joseph Smith said it. Quakers, for example. The question was uh, for him? For, yeah. For um, so uh, how do we determine it when, some, when Joseph Smith is saying something, whether he was saying it and teaching it or whether he was just trying to test people? Um, honestly, that if I'm understanding the question appropriately, I think that gets super deep into Joseph Smith's psychology. And that's a, that's a world and a dark and scary place that I'm not very comfortable speculating in. Um, because really at the end of the day, it's, it's a, a matter of how cynical you view Joseph Smith and how cynical he was, um, how much of what he did was pushing the envelope, seeing what he could get away with, how much was truly fueled by his narcissism for ever growing power or how much was just truly, he believed it deep down internally. Um, there is no bedrock on this because you're trying, like, you can't get into somebody else's head, let alone the head of somebody who's been dead for 170 years. Right. So I don't, I, 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 I'm not trying to dodge the question. I'm just saying I can't answer it because it's just, I don't, I can't, I can't do it. Uh, you're, I think you're, muted, you're, you're muted, Amy. There we go. Thank you so very much. I like doing a ventriloquist trick. And that is, <laughs> I see you in chat, Oflamo. I think we did cover it, but if not, send it in to me just right now, and we'll re-cover it as soon as Kyle has his last super chat. We'll do, we'll do uh, an extra credit scene as if we're Marvel. And so a question coming in. From skeptics and scoundrels, Kyle, please give us. Oh, do do do. Sending so much love to them, but coffee, mom. All evidence of Jesus is secondhand testimony. No, that's or worse. Not, well, if if it's coming from someone else, it is. But the the evidence that I got for myself. That's not secondhand testimony. That is personal experience. You know, when I'm able to pray and get answers to my prayers, that is firsthand testimony, not secondhand testimony. And so I go, I go back to um, man cannot live on borrowed light. They they need to attain their own personal testimonies and have their own experiences. And yeah, that's the the miracle of of this of the of the gospel. That's that's how the church works. It, it does not work without. The miracles. And all right. I'm trying to see if Oflamo would tag me because I want to make sure that I got everyone's super chats 
sent in, but I think with that, I we're going to send love out there. Oh, here we go. Bryce saying humans created gods and also saying no gods existed is a contradiction. Did you know that? Okay, so people imagining things doesn't actually create them beyond just their imagination. So I play D&D a couple times a week. Um, but what happens in those worlds is only actually happening in our imaginations. And I believe that the gods that humans make are in our imaginations. Um, and then we teach those imaginative things to each other. And then more people begin to imagine the same thing as other people um, or what they think is the same as other people. And pretty soon you have a religion. Um, so just by virtue of people believing in something doesn't make it true, but it just so happens that um, so many times the conception of deity that people create often in, uh, reflects the um, their own personal desires, their own internal psychology, or they oftentimes will glom onto religions that reflect their own personal beliefs. And as an example of this, when the church decided to um, cease discriminating against black people because of their skin color in 1978, uh, there was a contingency of extremely conservative Mormons who left the church because they believed sincerely that black people could never get into heaven and that the church was now in error because they were now allowing black people into heaven. So those people clearly had their conception of God, their conception of a white supremacist deity in their mind. And when the church wandered too far away from that, those people said, I'm going to find a new religion or create my own religion that is more like the God that I am imagining in my mind. So gods cannot exist at the same time that people can imagine that gods do exist. Those are not contradictory. And so Kyle, I'll let uh, you... You're, you're muted, Amy. You're muted on Zoom. <laughs> Once again... Third time Still is muted. the chart. Still muted on Zoom. Hmm. Ah, okay, dokie. Ha 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 ha. There we go. <laughs> there we go. But I wanted to say, in essence, that Kyle, you can have a response back, but then Bryce has to have the last word, as it was his question, but these are both of your last words for both of you. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I already said that. Uh, the... The magic sauce with the with the the church the the way it functions is through miracles and so uh, it doesn't just stop with the Book of Mormon but God still speaks today and still performs miracles today uh, it's he's a God that lives and the most amazing thing for me that I'm trying to to do with my family is to have a collection just like the Book of Mormon was written about one person writing their testimonies and and they, their experiences with God. Uh, it's a really cool thing when we can have that generational. And so uh, with my parents and them writing their experiences and then I write my experiences and I am able to do that with my own children and have encouraged them to write their experiences. That is way more meaningful to me because uh, it's much more personal. It's applying to us. And so, yeah, that's the way the Bible was written. And that's yeah the way the Book of Mormon was written. And it doesn't have to just end there, but it can continually go this is a story that is still being told and then bryce the final word is yours but the questions yep. are over yeah um miracles are I, I believe that uh what this represents and the made clear throughout the entire exchange today is that kyle is elevating uh miracles as uh evidence above uh basically anything else that we could possibly have access to any other forms of evidence um and i think that's just the wrong way to look at reality
and that leads people to conclude and believe all sorts of really unbelievable, untestable, just credulous nonsense in the world. Um, and I believe that that my interlocutor has uh, represented um, exactly what that leads to today. Thank you so very much to both of our interlocutors. With that, I am going to send love to everyone for joining us tonight as we had Bryce and Kyle go head to head. I do want to thank all the people in chat, our fantastic mods, and most importantly, you, our audience, here on Modern Day Debate. We are a neutral platform welcoming everybody from all walks of life. So if you're looking for even more fantastic debates, we're all over the internet, including your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, then please don't forget to like follow and subscribe it helps us reach an even wider audience viewers like you there will also be an open mic after show on my channel amy newman on the youtubes however if you've ever thought of running your own after show feel free to reach out to us here at modern day debate because we support all sides including yours Plus, it, we are always looking for new debaters, so come on down to the ring. But if you heard anything that was of interest to you tonight on our debate of was Joseph Smith a prophet of God with our fantastic debaters, Bryce and Kyle, well then why not check all of our guest links, which are in the description below. Though if you're looking for more fun back and forth, 24-7, 365, feel free to check out our MDD Discord, also in the description and in chat, which often throws after parties, a lot more online fun. Finally, tickets are on sale now for Modern Day Debate live and in person for Saturday, September 16th in Houston, Texas. The link of which is at the top of this box right below. This mini conference will have two debates, one featuring Aaron Ra versus the Muslim metaphysician and one featuring Matt Dillahoney and Daniel Hakikachu. So go get your tickets now as we're expecting to sell out. With that, I am Amy Newman with Modern Day Debate, and we hope you continue having great conversations, discussions, and debates. Good night, everyone. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.